today on Cass. And a good Joey to you as well. And who are I'm you? Alex. And what is this? Anime is for jerks and jerk adjacent allies. <laughs> jerks and jerk allies. Allies of the jerk community. <laughs> and for this episode, I um, I had us watch the anime Drake's series of short, uh, shorts um, based around the Matrix. Largely so that Cass would have to watch The Matrix for the first time. Yes, I had never seen The Matrix. Um, and uh, so I guess I'll t- we'll talk about The Matrix a little bit first. Um, because I've never seen it before. I have a feeling we're going to talk more than a little bit about it. More than a little bit about The Matrix. So my takeaway from having watched The Matrix for the first time is that I wasn't missing much. <laughs> the, the important question, though. <clears throat> Best reporter voice. Is the Matrix about being trans? No. Cassiopeia. <laughs> not really. No, it is not. Um, so yeah, and then also, in addition to watching The Matrix, I read most of, I haven't finished it yet, um, the Jean Baudrillard book, uh, Simulacra and Simulation. Um, and having read it, I get the impression that the Wachowskis read the first chapter of it, and then made this movie about it, <laughs> uh, because the rest of the oh, the rest of that book God. has fucking nothing to do with any of this shit. Uh, let me actually go get it. Well, look when they when they cut out there, when they cut, they cut out the hole in the book, so Neo could put his uh, secret programs. Uh, they left a bit at the front in the in the back, so they could only read. Yeah, they a could, little bit on each end. Uh, the that that's the other thing is that having watching that 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 scene so there's a scene in the in the beginning of the matrix where neo pulls a copy of simulacra and simulation off of the shelf and then opens it up and inside he's hollowed it out to keep all of his fucking memes in there uh um his illegal memes yeah he's a he's an underground meme smith um and watching that scene while the book simulacra and simulation was sitting directly next to me just completely shattered the believability because simulacrum simulation is not that long that book the, the, <laughs> the book like simulacrum simulation is less than 200 pages long you could not hollow it out and hide your memes in there um, oh that's so funny yeah it's very funny um it's a very it's a bad choice of of book because it's it's not long um yeah it's it's very dense um but yeah, and then having read a bit of it, I was like ha- I was like a third of the way through it when I watched The Matrix and then yeah. read the rest of it. Um, the first page of this, I feel like maybe they only read the first page of this book. Um, so the, the, the first page of Simulacra and Simulation says, If once we were able to view the Borges fable in which the cartographers of the Empire draw up a map so detailed that it ends up covering the territory exactly, the decline of the Empire witnesses the fraying of this map, little by little, and it's fallen to ruins, though some shreds are still discernible in the deserts, the metaphysical beauty of this ruined abstraction testifying to a pride equal to the Empire and rotting like a carcass, returning to the substance of the soil a bit as the devil ends by being confused with the real through aging, as the most beautiful allegory of simulation, this 
fable has now come full circle for us and possesses nothing but the discreet charm of second-order simulacra. Today, abstraction is no longer that of the map, the double, the mirror, or the concept. Simulation is no longer that of a territory, a referential being, or a substance. It is degeneration by models of a real without origin or reality, a hyper-real. The territory no longer precedes the map, nor does it survive it. It is nevertheless the map that precedes the territory, procession of simulacra, that engenders the territory. And if one must return to the fable, today it is a territory whose shreds slowly rot across the extent of the map. It is the real, and not the map, whose vestiges persist here and there in the deserts that are no longer those of the Empire, but ours. The desert oh. of the real itself. Oh, that's what the desert of the real yes. is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that... Yeah. I didn't understand all of that. Could you repeat it very no. slowly? No, no. Um, so yeah, so that is, I'm probably going to read a little bit more from this book because it, it, I, I do like it. It, it is very good, um, have it, having read it now. And I, I assume that you haven't read it, Alex? I, I have not. That's yeah. surprising given that you have both liked The Matrix for like 20 years and also were a, have a master's degree in philosophy. I mean, okay, my, my, my academic... Like exposure to philosophy is all strongly like Anglo-American, uh. Uh, and I wasn't the kind. I wasn't like a Matrix super fan at uh. any time in my life. Like you, when we were talk, we were talking about the movie earlier, just before recording the podcast, and you said something about how, um, like it's a dumb movie that thinks it's saying something deep, and like, except yeah, except for like. When I was very young, I don't think I ever thought the Matrix was actually super deep. <laughs> like it, it, it kind of uh, effectively ra- like raises kind of like the Phil one hundred and one question. Yeah. Of how do how do we like distinguish reality from illusion? And then it doesn't, and, then, yeah. and that's just about it. Like it, it, that's, it, it was a very good way of like getting like white kids into philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, like uh, um, I think very few people, very few serious people would would claim that it is like a like a deep important movie yeah because the I, I still think it's a romp though I still the, think it's the a thing fun. is and this is something that's interesting is is that the philosophical question that everybody comes away from the matrix asking which is what if is it could it be possible that we are all living in a computer simulation or like Rene Descartes evil demon is controlling our minds or we're a brain in a vat or whatever yeah. like that is not the question that I think the Matrix is most interested in, and it's also not a question that comes up at all in Simulacra and Simulation. No. Um, Simulacra and Simulation it has nothing. It's it's way, it's way sort of like more. It's on like way higher levels of just like galaxy brain bullshit. Like it's way Jean Baudrillard is way more galaxy brain than just asking like, what if we live in a computer simulation, dude? Um, yeah, yeah, you. you... I, yeah, you read some other passages, like his his um, exceptional dunks on Apocalypse Now. Yes, his yeah, he has a great dunk on Apocalypse Now. The first page of his his he has a little essay in here about the the film The China Syndrome, which is a movie from the early eighties about uh from the late seventies actually about a uh, nuclear power station disaster. Um, uh-huh. Where is it in here? I just had it open and then I. 
accidentally closed the book and I can't find it. Okay, yeah. So he says, he says crazy shit like this. The fundamental stake is at the level of television and information. Just as the extermination of the Jews disappeared behind the televised event Holocaust, the cold Holy medium shit. of television having been simply substituted for the cold system of extermination, one believed to be exercising through it, so the China Syndrome is a great example of the supremacy of the televised event over the nuclear event, which itself remains improbable and in some sense imaginary. Besides, the film shows this to be the case, without wanting to. That TV is present precisely where it happens is not so coincidental. It is the intrusion of TV into the reactor that seems to give rise to the nuclear incident, because TV is like its anticipation and its model in the everyday universe, television of the real and of the real world, because TV and information in general are a form of catastrophe in the formal and topological sense Rene Tom gives the word, a radical qualitative change of a whole system. Or rather, TV and the nuclear are of the same nature. Behind the hot and negentropic concepts of energy and information, they have the same power of deterrence as cold systems do. TV itself itself is also a nuclear process of chain reaction, but implosive. It cools and neutralizes the meaning and energy of, the, of events. Thus, the nuclear, behind the presumed risk of explosion, that is to say of hot catastrophe, conceals a long, cold catastrophe, the universalization of a system of deterrence. Hell yeah. If you want to know what that means, I have no fucking idea. I mean, yeah, like, like I think Baudrillard is kind of, I mean... He, he was a big. He must have been a big influence on uh, Marshall McLuhan, right? Uh, other way around. Uh, or other way around. Yeah, okay. yeah. This book, I, I, yeah. I, I got my dates mixed up. Yeah, because uh, Marshall McLuhan was writing in the '60s and Baudrillard was writing in the '80s. Okay. Because yeah, 90s. like both of them with their galaxy brain, like yeah, like it's like take it's take, taking like the like kind of modern like takes on social construction of of reality to <laughs> oh, yeah. to, a, to, a, to, a, to a strange place yeah where, to the maximum galaxy brain level where yeah there's there's no there's just kind of a, a complete flattening of like representation and the represented uh to to the point that neither has any meaning anymore <laughs> yeah yeah, Baudrillard is a—he's a very grumpy man. Um, Marshall McLuhan is is less grumpy. Um, Baudrillard, Baudrillard is, is is like if McLuhan was was very grumpy and also less readable. Um, <laughs> and but yeah, uh, I think uh, understanding media, which is Marshall McLuhan's like big book, came out in the late '60s. I want to say, okay. and then Baud- this Simulacrum Simulation was in '81, and then there's another book by Baudrillard um, that came out in 1991. Uh, that's I think his other most famous work, which is called The Gulf War Did Not Take Place. Okay. Um, which so is- yeah, for, like maybe it's like maybe it's like maybe it's just the book title. It sounds like a much earlier work. Yeah. Uh, um. And yeah, McLuhan is the one who coined, I think, the, the or, medium or, is the message, or, is, or at least that's attributed to him. Yeah, he coined it. it, and and which is true as far as it goes that the medium kind of uh, has a huge impact on the content of something, but yeah. then it is. I don't know. If, I don't know. I haven't read his work actually, but if of you're course, a... all, all, galaxy brained into oblivion that yes. like there's no distinction between the medium and the message yes for for our canadian viewers out there if you when growing up you may have seen on television the heritage minute about uh marshall McLuhan 
discovering the phrase or, or happening upon the phrase the medium is the message which conveniently has no includes no explanation of what the fuck that even means um <laughs> so there are like legions of canadian children who know that phrase but have no idea what it means in context but yeah oh, like so funny yeah um, there's a great, I'll, I'll link to this in the, in the show notes. It's a great short video by Dan Olson, uh, of, of Folding Ideas, uh, about that phrase. Dan Olson, noted Canadian. Um. <laughs> notably Canadian or, or, or notably, one few, notably Canadian. One of the few, or a few noted Canadians. Both. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, yeah, where he talks, and his his sort of explanation of, of the medium of the, of the message, like, he, he sort of asks, like, what has had more of an impact on the world that we live in? Any individual YouTube video, or the existence of YouTube itself? Mm. You know? Um, and that is sort of one sense of what McLuhan means, is like, is like the medium of film, or the medium of television, um, has more of an impact on the world than any individual instance any individual message uh, okay. instance. Um, so yeah, yeah, the, the the spin on it that I that I was usually kind of given was just that the medium kind of I don't want to say distorts, but shapes yeah the the content of of whatever it is expressed in that medium. Yeah, that's also true because McLuhan had this yeah. whole he had this whole other idea of like hot and cold media. Um, oh, where Baudrillard got his nuclear televisions? <laughs> no, um, television. It, television is cold though uh, in McLuhan's classification. Um, oh. So it's like the distinction between television and film, because television is cold for McLuhan, but film is hot. Um, and for McLuhan, a cold medium is a more interactive medium because it requires more effort on the part of the audience to interpret the messages being placed there. And this is, and it's, it's actually really straightforward because the television is cold because television images, especially in the time that McLuhan was writing them, are low definition. They don't look as, as they aren't as high fidelity as film images, so it takes more effort to interpret them um, <laughs> okay. than... It does film images. Film images yeah. are hot because you can show somebody exactly what's happening and it takes no effort, you know? So, and in the same way, live action film is hot, but animation is cold. Because with animation, mm. you're, you're looking at, at sort of drawings which represent objects and you have to interpret that uh, rather than uh, being shown objects themselves. And right. of course, if you're Rene Magritte, you'll say that the, even a film cannot show you an object itself. Nah. But yeah, so... I guess I should make an attempt to try to summarize what Jean Baudrillard is talking about, um, which is, it's a little difficult, but I'll... I'll, I'll be right back. I'll do my best. <laughs> um, so when Jean, Baudrillard, when Jean Baudrillard uses the word simulacre and simulation, he uses them in a way that's pretty familiar, which is, is so a simulacre and simulation are things that represent other things or that that like when he says simulation he means simulation in the way that we understand it like he's not using some secret philosophical meaning um and what and that that sort of first page where he talks about he talks about this uh jorge luis borges short story and i forget the name of it um but i i remember reading this story about um it is a, it is a short story about um some cartographers in this like medieval empire who try to make the most accurate map possible of their empire 
um, and wind up creating a map that is the same physical size as the Empire, where all of the locations on it are in on the map are in the same physical locations as the, the their places in the Empire. Um, and then as the Empire falls and crumbles, the map itself decays and frays at the edges. Um, it's 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 so Borgesian. It's it's very much it's. I've, if I haven't read it, I've definitely know of this story. Um, yeah, it, it's peak Borges, um, and. Uh, it's it's sort of a a literalization of a sort of common phrase, which is that the map is not the territory. Yeah. Um, and this is something that, that um, Baudrillard is talking about. So what the map is not the territory means is that representations of things are not the things themselves. So like a map of a place is not the place. It's just a map of the place. A A model, you know, for instance, like our... Our model of the atom, you know, like the, like, the, like, shells and, like, uh, nucleus model of the atom is not the atom, you know, it's just a model. Um, and what Baudrillard is arguing is that the condition of, of post-modernity is that it's not that the map has become the territory, it's that the territory no longer exists, and that the map is all that exists, and we are sort of wandering around, sort of treating the map like it were the territory, um, living in this sort of fake world. And there is an... uh, Who directed this? There is a documentary uh, by a guy called Adam Curtis called hypernormalization um which is is sort of if you if you are interested in these ideas and you don't want to read Jean Baudrillard and I can't blame you I would strongly recommend re- watching <laughs> hypernormalization it is it is a it was a BBC documentary from 2016 um about the sort of it, the sort of thesis of which is that um since the 1970s like when postmodernism sort of took over like the world and became like the defining way in which we think about things um politicians and and corporations and and governments and basically the entire world have given up on the real world which is complicated and difficult and have constructed a fake world that they can pretend to run and solve problems in so this so these sorts of ideas that Adam Curtis is talking about and that Baudrillard talks about it makes it really easy because I, I, I totally understand what The Matrix is going for, because The Matrix is not actually... The film The Matrix is not actually interested in the question of whether or not we live in a computer simulation. The film The Matrix is primarily interested in using a computer simulation as a metaphor for the hyper-real. Um, because in the world of The Matrix, the real world no longer exists. It is the desert of the real. It's just... It's like they've they've blocked out the sun, and they've destroyed everything, and it's just a fucking wasteland full of robots. And so instead, all we have is this representation of what once was the real world that we now act as though it is it is the real world, and nobody nobody seems to notice that the change has happened. Um, so yes, so that's so that's what the Matrix is about. And in terms of being about this, I have I have mixed feelings about the Matrix. I I don't think we really need to summarize the plot of the Matrix because I think most people have seen the Matrix. So um, how, let's see how fast we can summarize the plot of the okay, Matrix. Okay, so let me let me see if I can summarize the plot of the Matrix, because I've seen it once, right. like, two weeks ago. Um, okay, so the Matrix is about this guy whose name 
is who's his hacker name is Neo, and I forget his real first name, but his last name is Anderson. Um, and uh, he lives in a world that he assumes to be real, and he is like a software programmer by day and like an illegal computer hacker guy by night, and he makes his money and like by both with his real job and also by just like selling computer programs to like cyberpunk people um and he gets contacted um by a hacker named trinity uh who through some machinations uh gets him uh, he has been investigating this question, which is, what is the Matrix? He doesn't know what the Matrix is, and he wants to know what it is. He's, he's heard about it. He, 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 he's just been n- nagging at his brain. Um, and he wants to know what the Matrix is. And so Trinity contacts him, uh, and he gets rescued from the Matrix by... V- basically, like, he, he's hunted down by these, these agents, which are, like, they're disguised as, like, FBI agents or government agents or whatever, but they're actually sentient computer programs. Um, and they try to hunt him down... Uh, and get him to give up the location of this resistance group who's fighting against the Matrix, but he instead escapes the Matrix with their leader, who is this guy named Morpheus, um, who offers him to take the red pill or the blue pill, he takes the red pill, and then he uh, becomes a reactionary on the internet. Um... No, what taking the red pill does is it allows him to leave the Matrix and go into the real world, which is uh, a complete, a desolate wasteland occupied only by robots who have uh, enslaved humanity by strap by like putting them into these pods in the Matrix uh, and plugging them into the Matrix. And the Matrix is a simulation of reality as it was circa 1999, um, which was the peak of human society, as we all know. As we all know. Uh, because end of history, man. Yeah. Because I, I I have I have some fucking thoughts about this movie in the end of history. Uh, uh, we'll we'll talk about that when I'm done summarizing. So right. so there, at some point in the past of the real world, there was a war between humans and robots. Um, the robots won, but as a last ditch effort to stop the robots, the humans realized that the robots run on solar power, and so they blocked out the sun. Uh, the robots didn't care about this, and instead just took all of the humans and strapped them into a matrix where they use human body heat for power. Um, in in lieu of the sun, and all humans that are alive, except for some that live in a city called Zion, very subtle. Uh, ah. uh, so all humans, who li- except for those those few who live in Zion, uh, are born and die in the Matrix, believing that it's reality. Um, so Neo, so Morpheus is this guy. He runs a, this small group of people uh, who have escaped the Matrix and who are trying to do something about this. And Morpheus believes that Neo is the one, which means, which means, uh, presumably only on the basis that his hacker name is an anagram for one. Uh, (laughs) um, and believe, and him being the one means that once he's completed his training, he'll be able to like master the simulation and change the Matrix to be whatever he wants. Um, so, they are, go, they go into the Matrix for some reason, I forget, oh yeah, they go into the Matrix to see the Oracle, to see what the Oracle has to say about Neo, and while they're in the Matrix, this douchebag named Cypher, who has bad facial hair, and is bald, and is an asshole, um, uh, he doesn't even see the code anymore, all he sees is blondes, brunettes, redheads, uh, (laughs) 
What, what a classic line. It's I. That's one of the only things I knew about The Matrix before watching The Matrix, and I'm so really? glad. Yeah, yeah, I knew about that line because Northern Lion says, says it all the time. Because <laughs> uh, so it's such a phenomenally stupid line. Uh-huh. Uh, so Cypher gives them up to, has, has been like, gives up the the location of, of Neo and Trinity and Switch and the other one? APOC. APOC! APOC! boy! Uh, who, in exchange for being put back into the Matrix and having his memory wiped so that he doesn't have to think about the fact that the Matrix is real anymore and he can just be an important person in the Matrix and live a happy life, um, instead of having to eat gruel on a spaceship for the rest of his life. So a fucking mouse, that little tiny smut peddler. <laughs> yes. Um... I forgot about Mouse. Completely forgot about him. Uh, Pretty kind of kind of forgettable, honestly. Um, Poor Mouse. Yeah. So the, the first the first one to, to, to die. Yeah. So Mouse dies. Switch dies. Apoc dies. Switch and Apoc die because uh, Mouse dies because if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life, uh, and he gets shot gets shot by bullets a lot, uh, and then. Switch and Apoc die because Cypher in the real world unplugs them, which also kills you because you have to get to a payphone if you want to leave the Matrix. It's it's like ejecting a flash drive. Yeah, it, you got You got You got go. You got to properly eject it before you unplug it, or the data gets all munged. If it were like unplugging a flash drive, then you can just unplug it and it would be fine. But the computer would warn you about unplugging it properly. Hush. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have. I have an explanatory analogy, but uh, I'm going to ride it until I die. Um, so, almost everybody except Trinity and uh, and Neo are dead. Morpheus has been gets kidnapped because he's the leader, and they want to tell him. They want him to tell they, being the agents, want Morpheus to give up the codes to Zion or something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's like to open, like open, like the. Uh, Gates, yeah, because he's like he's a captain of he's one of the captains of of he's the captain of his ship, and all the captains have codes, presumably to get in and out. Yeah, so. um, and so they torture Morpheus at the top of this tall office building, and then Neo and Trinity decide to go into the Matrix to try to rescue him. And then there's a dumb fight scene in the lobby of a hotel where they shoot a bunch of cops, which is cool, um, <laughs> but also dumb. Yeah, but also really dumb and. Um, Keanu Reeves is not a convincing murderer in this movie. He, it would take him like twenty years to become a convincing murderer. Uh, <laughs> like he, I, it, it's, he, this was this is all prep for John. This Wick. is all prep for John Wick. Um, and then they like they take the elevator up, but like then it gets they it, they get stopped so they climb out of the elevator and they they like get pulled up all the way to the top of the elevator by the elevator cable and the elevator hits the bottom and for some reason it explodes. I don't know they why this... They, they, they left a bomb in there. They left a bomb in there? Okay. I was confused yeah. about that because I was like, why did this elevator have a huge tank of gasoline in the bottom or something? Like, no, why? For some reason, for some reason they put a bomb in the in the elevator car. Just because it would be... Just because it would look cool, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Um, And then they fight with the agents and then... uh, I kind of... I kind of, like... Uh, zoned out during this part because it was just like, a bunch of like action scenes where they get they get Morpheus back and then they try to get out of the building and they're being chased by the agents and then they go into the uh, 
and then there, there's like a big chase scene where like people keep turning into agents because there's a whole there's a conversation earlier where Morpheus is talking about how like any person could be an agent, so you can't trust right. anybody. So, so so Trinity and Morpheus get out. They get out of they get out of the matrix through, yeah. the, through the telephone, but uh, Neo yeah. isn't fast enough. And, so and then, being chased yeah, and then like the homeless guy at the agents. at the bus sta- at the train station turns out to be an agent, and then he gets into a fist fight with the agent. Um, the thing, and then the agent gets hit by a train, but it doesn't matter because he's just a computer program. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so then he still get he's still getting chased, and then he goes into a different building, and then he discovers that he is in fact the one. Uh, and then he stops hella bullets, and then he punches guys, and then he call, picks up the phone. And also, while this is happening, like in the real world, the spaceship is being attacked by robots. Oh, you forgot you forgot the second best line of the movie, which is when when so yeah, he's trying to find a new phone. Is the best line the blonde brunette's redheads line? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then, um, he's, he's about to, he's about to get to another phone to get out. And then the main, the main agent, Agent Smith, Hugo Weaving slash Elrond, uh, catches up to him and shoots him and just fucking loads him up with bullets. And so he, and so he's dying. And then Trinity, throughout the movie, like, um, Neo had like asked Trinity what the Oracle told her, the uh, everyone goes to the Oracle and gets some little like fortune cookie, and she wouldn't tell him. And then when he's when he's like dying, she's like whispering to him. She's like, "Neo, I'm not afraid anymore. The Oracle told me that I would fall in love with a dead man, and that he would be the one. So you see, you can't be dead." Because I love you. And then, <sighs> and then that's that's how that's actually how he comes back to life. But yeah. Then he go. Then he then he finally, uh, like, can see the true reality underneath it and stop bullets and do everything that was yeah. prophesied of him. Yeah, and then he picks up the phone. And they leave the matrix. And then, and then Rage Against the Machine kicks in, and we're all yeah. rocking out. Um. So yeah, so you bringing that up also ties into one of the things that I dislike about this movie, which is that this is a movie where you have, like, some fucking white dude Joe Schmo show up, and then become, like, magically the most important person in this group, mostly composed of marginalized people, and then he... Th- I, he thinks that he's learned the lesson that actually he's just some guy and that maybe he should defer to like people who know more about this than him and then no. the and then the message at the end of the movie is no white guy you are the most important person in the universe <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and yeah. god yeah, it sucks yeah. it sucks so much <laughs> yeah like it could be like there's no such thing as the one it's just yeah. like I was kind of hoping that that would be it because I was like, I thought Neo was the one, but maybe I was just misunderstanding what people were talking about, and like I was really, I was really crossing my fingers that this movie would be smarter oh, than that. Oh no, but, you poor thing. Uh, I mean, I wasn't really crossing my fingers. I mean, I was, I was like, I was like, oh, that would be interesting, and then it wasn't interesting. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have, I have some notes. M- many of my notes are, are dumb. Like I. I noticed that when Neo takes the red pill, he he drinks a lot of water for a pill of that size. Hey, he's nervous. <laughs> like he, drinks a, he drinks a lot of water. Um, but yeah, I think that's sort of my main one of my main issues with the movie mm-hmm. uh, is mm-hmm. is that it's it's uh, you know Keanu Reeves 
telling Keanu Reeves that he's the most important person in the world isn't great. But that's because Neo is trans, right? Um, obviously, no, yeah. Um, historical context is fake. Um, <laughs> Roland Bart told me that historical context doesn't exist. Roland uh, Bart. Um, but yeah, so like the Matrix, I think it makes because we keep alluding to this idea that this is a movie about being trans because the both of the Wachowskis who directed this movie are trans women, um, and. It's they did, yeah, what they were not, they were not... Neither of them are out when this movie came out. Out for, like, at least a decade, yes. I think? Yeah, because one of them came out after came Speed out. Racer came out, and then I think mm-hmm. the other one came out a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, so there's been, there's since been a lot of effort to read yeah. trans stuff into The Matrix. Uh, yeah. The which, Matrix, but, like, if you place The Matrix into its context, The Matrix is like the sort of middle chapter in a trilogy of films uh that include that include they live and fight club um <laughs> like that is where the matrix belongs yeah. um so have you th- have you seen they live no so they live is a is a john carpenter film from 1988 uh starring the wrestler rowdy rowdy piper and keith david and it's amazing um okay and They Live is a film, Rowdy Rowdy Piper plays a, just some guy, um, who discovers in a dumpster this box full of sunglasses that when you put them on, reveal to you the true nature of reality, which is that one, Whoa. which is that one, it's all in black and white, and two, uh, there are aliens disguised as humans who have, uh, mind-controlled humans into doing their bidding through advertisements and money. Uh, it's yeah it's cool uh, it's a really good movie and it, it, except like the the problem with with all these movies is that they're all because they're a little scared of like actually calling out like the the thing that they're actually attacking which is wealthy people um they're all <laughs> open to these other line they don't they don't fully reject other lines of interpretation so they live like if you know who John Carpenter is and you know what this movie is about and you have some context for it, They Live is obviously a movie, like the aliens are a metaphor for capitalism and wealthy people, Mm -hmm. obviously. But uh, if you aren't familiar with that sort of stuff and you don't have context, the aliens are a metaphor for Jews. Oh dear. Um, And lots of people out there have pointed this out, you know, They Live is the kind of movie like that is popular it, it, it's it's somewhat popular to read it through that lens because it doesn't fully reject that lens and it's very uh, very easy to see a bunch of people who look like us but are different from us who secretly manipulate us through banks and advertising and money uh mm-hmm. as oh yeah that's the jews um which is ugh, yeah that's bad that's not good and it's obvious if you know anything about john carpenter's work that that's not what he meant but it doesn't matter because like in the end only audience remains and uh when you're it, there's nothing in the text that rejects that interpretation yeah um fight fight club is definitely it's not about rich people well i mean they blow up a like, bunch of banks at the end of it yes um, yeah, I mean that. Like, okay, so Fight the, Club, the, I think, is kind of the most direct of the three in terms of what it's you, criticized. I thought you said you yeah, hadn't seen it. Um, I have not seen it, but I know what happens at Fight Club. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I mean, I know the, more about Fight Club than I did about The Matrix before I saw it. Yeah, 
Yeah. So yeah, the 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 very charitable reading of Fight Club is that it's like an indictment of like well toxic masculinity. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, and I don't even think that that reading is that charitable because I mean, at the end of the movie, the guy shoots himself in the cheek to destroy the avatar of toxic masculinity, Brad Pitt. Right. Um, uh, which I think is a pretty fucking clear indictment of everything that Brad Pitt stands for. Now the problem, <laughs> I know, but like the problem is that the, the like the I'm not like I, I I have read the book. I don't remember yeah. it because it sucked and it was, uh, and so like. I don't like we. I mean, Chuck <laughs> is is a shithead. My favorite Klingon uh, author. So, so like, um, I don't like. I think if I think that if anything, the movie is woker. Than oh yeah, the movie is. is way woke. Like, Fight uh, Club is one of those movies that I that I think is is always good to bring up when people talk about books always being better than movies. Because, yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a yeah. stunning uh, rebuttal of of. I mean, yeah. the, the, I of think that, the, I still think yeah. the best example is Jaws because Jaws the film is great and Jaws the book is fucking terrible. Jaws it's oh, awful. I, it's I, so bad. I always forget that there is a book. Yeah, that that's how bad it is. <laughs> you know and like that's true of a lot of movies that are based on books i also think that uh stephen king's uh, or stanley kubrick's the shining is way better than stephen king's the shining mm-hmm. um yeah i earlier i said i said that uh it's a, it was a charitable reading because like the, the like 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 you said like only the audience matters and like for the majority of it the movie does glory in violence yeah uh and so like it's it's like the charitable reading is that it kind of like shows the seductive power of like hyperviolence to disaffected young men, but ultimately the emptiness of it. But as we, as we, as our good friend John Bart has told us, John Bart, <laughs> the author is dead, and so like the disaffected young teens watching the movie, yeah, it's same same reason as why like American History X has a ton oh, of yeah. like skinhead skin Nazis fans. love American History X. Edward yeah. Norton looks so cool in that movie. Uh, so, yeah. but yeah, like like Fight Club, I I I think it's probably the most direct because it because I think that a reading of Fight Club that takes it as a as a celebration of toxic masculinity is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you. You have to selectively ignore the ending of that movie, and also yeah. a lot of parts throughout the movie, um, yeah. in order to get to that ending. Whereas they live, you don't have to ignore shit to read that movie as anti-Semitic. You know. Okay. Fair. Fair. Um, yeah. You know, it's just kind of like that. Um, they live also does have. It has uh, this like. It's got a bunch of sh- amazing shit in it. It's got this like. F- five minute long amazing like fight scene in a parking lot between Roddy Piper and Keith David where it's it's like there's no dialogue or anything. it's just these two guys just like these two huge dudes just like beating the shit out of each other in a parking lot for five minutes uh, <laughs> and okay. uh, it's also got uh, a line that everybody thinks Duke Nukem says said because nobody's actually seen They Live uh, and Duke Nukem ripped this line off from They Live but <gasps> when uh, uh, Roddy Piper busts into into like a bank to kill all the aliens in there at the end of the movie. He goes, I am here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And I am all out of gum. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> uh, it's fucking great. It's the best fucking movie ever. 
Um, That's incredible. Uh, yeah, no, the, yeah, talk about the parking lot fight. There's, yeah, there's like uh, the first time our boy fights with Brad Pitt. Uh, it's in a parking lot. And like, I have a soft spot for Fight Club because it's a, like, I haven't seen, let's see, what else have I seen by David Fincher? I've seen Zodiac. Zodiac's good. Like, but like, Fight Club is just like, on a technical level, it's it's oh, yeah. it's very well done. Like it's like it, it's some incredible filmmaking. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think you haven't that... seen it. You haven't seen it. What are you talking I've about? I've seen shots from it. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, even just like the, yeah, I'm thinking of the 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 uh, parking lot fight, and the acting too. Like the the how Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, like the timing of how they initiate their first fight with each other uh is so well done yeah yeah like like that's the difference between the book fight club and the film fight club is that chuck is uh a pretty terrible writer and an asshole and david fincher uh is one of the greatest directors working today and edward norton and brad pitt are two of the greatest actors working today so like huh (laughs) wonder why it turned out better i mean no i mean don't forget the screenwriter too like uh I forget who it was, but I, I know even in interviews, Chuck Polak was like, I'm almost embarrassed by how much better this is than my book. <laughs> so Jim uh, Oles is his name. Yeah. I think he's written some bad things. He as also, well. else, man, he wrote he Jumper, which is a terrible movie. Oh, hell yeah. I haven't seen it, but I want to. Um, he's wrote it with, uh, I have seen Jumper and it's bad. Uh, although its badness can be largely attributed to the fact that the lead is played by fucking Hayden Christensen. Um, but also, he didn't write Jumper alone. He wrote it with two other guys. Okay. Um, but uh, he's... Oh, I was thinking of Paul Haggis, who's written some real stinkers. Um, uh, is it Paul Haggis? I, I think that's it. Um, okay. Then Oles is, Oles is fine. I've got no beef with Oles. This, the, the guy who wrote the, the screenplay for Fight Club has done, like, nothing. His IMDb page is so short. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I, wonder he does, I wonder if he mostly does, like, other non-film writing. Yeah, no, he's, he's only written eight movies. <laughs> that's, uh, not, that's not nothing. It's not nothing, but, like, eight, he's written eight movies in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fight, Club, Fight Club was the first movie he ever wrote. Wow. Um, and then he also wrote a TV movie called Semper Fi. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote a film called Sweet Talk, uh, which describes itself on IMDb as, quote, a modern phone sex and internet love story. Oh, baby. Uh, he wrote Jumper. He wrote a short film called Money. Money. Uh, he wrote a short film called The Leviathan. Uh, he wrote Ooh. a short film called Flight Club Copy of a Copy. <laughs> okay. Oh my god, Fight Club Copy of the Copy is a short film uh, that is the ending of Fight Club as it is in the novel instead of the ending as it is in the movie. Oh lordy. Oh lordy, which is a bad oh, choice. Lordy. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then he wrote a documentary called Idiot Savant, The Savage Life of Ryan Leone. Holy smuckers. And then that's it. And then he was a producer on three of those movies and then he acted once in a movie called Stuart Bliss playing a character called Larry and then nothing else amazing amazing wow um so yeah so but like 
to talk about the Matrix again instead of just talk about Fight Club and, uh, and <laughs> oh, they oh, live. Right. Um, like the Matrix fits into these because the central idea of all of these movies is this very nineties. Um, is it's very nineties because like there were there were three there were, there were three different nineties. You know, depending on who you were in the 90s. You were either Francis Fukuyama, in which case the 90s were perfect, um, and all problems were solved when the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the Berlin Wall came down. Bill Clinton's president is great. Everything's great. We've, we're, like, a few years away from solving every problem. Um, and then, uh, or you were the kind of person who read Fight Club, um, in which, or, no, you were the, you were... No, the second kind of person you weren't. You didn't read Fight Club. You obsessively watched Clerks. Uh, okay, is the second okay, kind uh, of person. Um, and for what it's worth, I, I like. I, have, I haven't. I, I haven't like Clerks. seen Clerks. I like Clerks. Uh, it's it's it's. There's a, a very good bit in Clerks that I think of all the time, where um, one of the characters works at a video store, uh, and he is like laying down like fully on the counter at the video store uh like mm-hmm. reading reading a magazine and then like this old lady comes over and says and holds up two two videos and is like excuse me are either of these any good and he says i don't watch movies <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah clerk clerks is pretty good it's big mood yeah i don't watch movies either um but so if you watch Clerks, if you were a, if you were Kevin Smith in in the nineties, then Jorts, uh, Kevin Smith, big Jorts, yes. Uh, <laughs> if you were Kevin Smith in the nineties, then your experience in the nineties was that you realized that everything was fucked, that your life was terrible, and the lives of all your friends were terrible, and everything was miserable and was going to go to hell, and you and you did absolutely nothing about it because the primary joy that you got was that you were wo- you were woke and you knew shit was fucked while everybody else was asleep. <laughs> um, and then there was the third kind of 90s, which is like you went to the WTO protests in Seattle, where like you realized everything was fucked and you decided to do something about it. And both of those last two people got their feelings about this out by writing a zine. Um, um, and this this observation, I, I first should have sort of heard this observation made by Jake Rodkin on an episode of Important No True. When they, they got they got a they got a question where they were asked like what what is what what does it mean for something to be nineties like I have a sense of what it is to be the eighties or the seventies but what is it, what is it to be the nineties, um and and that was the answer that Jake gave and I, I I have liked it a lot because I think I think it really, uh no it's that no it's good it's really accurate and so but the Matrix at, they live is not a nineties movie it's an eighties movie but it, it's definitely and that's part of the reason why it was such a flop when it came out and nobody has seen it is because it was really ahead of its time um you know because in 1988 I feel like people were actually kind of mad about stuff um, you know, and, and like, like nobody was concerned about like the secret conspiracy shit because the Soviet Union still existed, and like the United States had like some uh, like some enemy to rattle the, rattle its saber against, and for you to be afraid of. Right, um, right. But then once the Soviet Union collapses, that's why you also get stuff like the X Files, you know, because what what like the cultural mood of the time is that. Everything, like, we've just defeated our biggest enemy. Everything should be perfect. We've been told that this is what we've been wanting. We've been told that capitalism is good. We've been told that, like, we're, like, that things are going to get better in the world. But everything still sucks. We're all still miserable. So there must be some thing that is still making us miserable. 
And of course, you yeah. can't just come out and say it's capitalism um, if you're making movies. Uh, because, like, you know, people who benefit from capitalism are the ones giving you money to make your movies. Um, so that's why you get stuff like The X-Files. Like, oh, it must be aliens. It must be the FBI. You know, it must be, you know, it must be that we all live in a computer simulation. It must be, you know, yada, yada, yada. You know, it must be It must be all this stuff. You know, we're... we're um, and that, that is a borrowed observation from... Um, uh, Mike Rignetta of PBS Idea Channel. He did he did a, a video essay on uh, the X Files a few years ago uh, that I will I will link in in the description in the show notes. Excellent. Um, uh, it's a very good video. But um, but yeah, so that's where the Matrix that that is the context in which the Matrix exists is that it's sitting around and wondering what is the Matrix is a metaphor for the fact that most people watching that movie will have some sense that the world is wrong that the world yeah. is that the world is bad in some way and there's no reason why it should be bad you know if you're just an average person because like everything's fine you know you pay your taxes yeah i pay you my taxes you. i'm you know there's no war going on right now it's 1999 you know like nothing's nothing's going on you know we have a cool president who plays the saxophone <laughs> um, like why why am i still miserable you know, and so the Matrix itself um, becomes a metaphor for capitalism. The problem, and why the Matrix is a cowardly movie, um, is that the people, like, the reason why you're miserable isn't because of robots. Um, you know, and it, placing the blame onto, even metaphorically, because obviously it's just a metaphor, but like, in this metaphor, nobody's responsible, you know? Like, it's not like there are people out there who could make, who are making choices that make the world bad, and if they made different choices, it would make the world better. Hey, wait till the second movie. <laughs> uh, I'm not gonna watch the second movie. Um, Don't. There's one good scene. It's the, like, the Chateau fight. It's just, this, it's just, they're, the most, they're, like, most peak bananas fight choreography is hilarious and the rest of the movie is forgettable yeah it's it's so it's not that it's not that like there are, and that's why i think fight club is is better or at least less cowardly because the film and i have to say nothing of the book but the film fight club mm -hmm. pointedly like it's in fight club you're not um, like, the people in Fight Club don't live in a computer simulation, you know, they're not being manipulated by aliens, you know, they're yeah. in the world that we live in, and they identify that the problem with the world that we live in is, you know, banks and wealthy people and, you know, capitalism to a certain extent, you know, like, yeah. that yeah. is, like, you're not being manipulated by robots, you're being manipulated by the things that you actually get manipulated by in real life, which is, like, advertising and, like, Capital, capitalist propaganda and and stuff um mm -hmm. which is why um the book that i see the matrix as being more similar to than simulacra and simulation is because it really only borrows sort of surface level elements from simulacra and simulation and the real thing that it's similar to is this book from that would be published like 10 years later um so it's obviously not actually similar to it but uh it's this book called capitalist realism by mark fisher um which uh he rest in peace so yeah, so I read and really, really liked Capitalist Realism. It's, if you have never read, to the audience, if you have never read anything, like, like any actual, like, leftist political theory or anything like that, it is 
the best place to start, I think. Because it's 81 pages long. It's written in extremely, like, plain language. Like, he's not, like... I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I found it really understandable. Like, I didn't have to, like, try hard. Like, with Bojigard, I have to, like, read the same sentence four times before I kind of understand what it says. Um, but... The thing that, um, so the subtitle of, of the book Capitalist Realism is, Is There No Alternative? Which refers to, um, what a, a statement by Margaret Thatcher, which is basically, it is like the slogan for neoliberalism, which is, there is no alternative. Um, which it says a lot about your political ideology when the best thing you can say in support <laughs> of it is, there's no other option. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the, it's, yeah, it's, it's. <laughs> everything else is either worse or impossible yeah um yeah it's it's the the equivalent of when you you're like 10 years old and you go to dinner and they've served peas and you hate peas and you're and your dad's like well when you get what you get you know it's like <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> you know it's yeah. that it's um you know and of course she said that in like 1987 when there very much was an alternative that still existed. Well, it wouldn't exist obviously. for another... Four years later, it would stop existing. But, um... Like, but, she said yeah. that at a time when it was so obviously false <laughs> um, that what it becomes is is what Mark Fisher calls capitalist realism, which is the idea... Uh, and he refers a lot to... Um, uh, Jacques Lacan, who is a psychoanalyst from the 60s, uh, and his concept of the real with a capital R because it's <gasps> because of philosophy because philosophy um, <gasps> you, you, it's not philosophy until you've given a regular noun a capital letter at the front of it to refer to a slightly different concept correct um, and he talks about how um, I introduced the capital chair concept <laughs> capital in, my chair. In, in my 106 page dissertation which I will link in the uh, show notes yeah if you send me a link to that I'll put it in the show notes <laughs> Uh. Oh, fuck. Uh, so, um, so capitalist realism is the idea is it, as Fisher describes it is um, basically like it's it's very similar to sort of premise of hypernormalization or the premise of simulacra and simulation in that it's it's a sort of smaller subset of reality that capitalist realism insists is the whole of reality. Um, and that capitalism becomes threatened, and he talks about how, like, capitalism becomes threatened when edges of the capital R real encroach on its conception of the small r real, you know, and he uses as an example climate change. Like, climate change, if you really think about it for more than two seconds, makes capitalism untenable. Um, and this is an argument that Naomi Klein has made in her book, uh, This Changes Everything, which is very good, and you should read it. Um... And uh, the idea that that capitalism is incompatible with with reality, capital R reality, because capitalism demands infinite, unceasing growth, and the world, as evidenced by climate change, cannot support infinite, unceasing growth. Um, and Mark Fisher talks about talks about this in Capitalist Realism, where he talks about the idea that. Part of the, re- the part of the justification for climate denial, and part of the reason why climate change is so is so threatening, um, is that it is threatening to ca- capitalist realism, to the capitalist conception of reality. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an existential threat. Yeah, um, and so you just ignore it. 
so in in the Matrix, um, the film The Matrix, I my my brain like like the train of thought in my brain just like went off a cliff. You you were you were so close to merging back onto the tracks. I was so close to merging back onto the tracks, and I'm gone now. Uh, <laughs> I've just I've just completely lost it. Um, so so yeah, you, so yeah, you're talking about talking about like yeah the the idea of the matrix as as the 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 as capitalist the, new, the, the new real yeah yeah um, and and it, it it fits on very nicely in the sense that the matrix is a small subset of reality that is that we are convinced is the the whole of reality, um, right. and and also in the way that like. Uh, because the Matrix, as described in um, in the film, is is an imperfect world. It's lo- it's a neoliberal hellscape, um, you know, just like it was in the '90s. And the reason that the agents provide for that is because people died when they gave them what they wanted, um, <laughs> yeah. which seems like there was a fucking tweet from. from I, I was about to yes, bring up that tweet. There was a fucking great tweet from from Ben Pack of GiantBomb.com. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, he says, when Agent Smith has Morpheus captured in the Matrix, he tells him that the first simulation of the Matrix was a paradise where everyone lived in harmony, but the humans rejected and their bodies died because they couldn't believe it. I used to think that was lazy writing. And then it's a screenshot of a Reddit post that says, Lamau, imagine thinking McDonald's workers should make nearly 50k a year. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that capitalist realism, brain. Yeah, it's... Yeah, so that's that's what the Matrix is. Um... And yeah, and, and Morpheus like hints at, at that idea when uh, he he first meets Neo at the beginning, right before he offers him the blue pill and the red pill, and he's like, "What is the Matrix?" He says, "The Matrix is is control." Uh, and he says a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, like, I took yeah, screenshots yeah. of this um, because I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, he says something's wrong with the world. You don't know what, but it's there. Um, and he's like, you can feel it when you go to work, when you turn on your television, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. And I think it's really interesting, like, the specific examples that he picks. Um, yeah. Especially when he talks about work and television. Um, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, that is where I feel sort of the most Baudrillard influence is in, is in that, that sort of monologue, is, is the idea that... Because all of those things that they're talking that they're talking about are what Baudrillard would describe sort of as as signs or like a a, a copy like because he talks about simulacra a simulacrum as a copy without an original um, mm-hmm. and as as signs and he also talks about the world as being constructed out of signs that refer to nothing um, you know and television as a system of signs that refer to nothing um, yeah. you know because which which and I can absolutely see where that ties into the matrix because of course like you see this matrix which is just a system of signs that refer to nothing because the world that they just that they represent doesn't exist anymore yeah um let me see i took a bunch of pictures of simulation see if there's anything else in there to bring up (laughs) my gallery on my phone is just like infinite pictures of book pages i'm so boring oh oh same no absolutely like that's where I get all those posts I mean I messed it on that no one reads because they're just like tiny they're too long. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, my yeah, my joke about the about the chairs was that my in my undergrad we had to write a senior thesis and I did mine in like the worst 
corner of analytic metaphysics, which is called muriology, which is like how parts compose whole objects. And so the idea is like, well, how does it, what is a chair? Well, it's like a leg, another leg, another leg, a back, the seat. It's like, what's, what's the nature of this, these parts and how, like what, at what point of their coming together does the, does the chair begin to exist? And it, 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 it goes completely off the rails because that the, because once you start logicking too hard, it's like, well, chairs don't exist. Uh, and yeah so so that was that was that was the philosophy (laughs) i studied yeah boring (laughs) bullshit um so yeah probably my favorite little like a lot of philosophy books simulacrum simulation is is structured like uh it's a just a sort of a bunch of of essays on a on a similar theme um, and probably my favorite in this book is one called Hypermarket and Hypercommodity, um, where he talks about, we don't really have these in the United States. I mean, we have them, we don't call them this, uh, hypermarkets. Um, we have some of them, like we have Aldi, which is a German chain of hypermarkets. Mm-hmm. And then we have like super Walmarts. Um, uh, but what, is hyper, what is, what is hypermarket? So a hypermarket is, it's like a supermarket, but more. Um, you know, there's more stuff in a hypermarket, more kinds of stuff, you know, whereas a supermarket mm-hmm. might only have groceries, a hypermarket contains all manner of, of goods. Okay. Um, well, there's a, there's a, there's a story here called Fred Meyer that like the, the first floor is like a pretty standard, it's like a standard supermarket and the second floor is more like a target. Ah, yeah. It has, has like householdy stuff, yeah. electronics and appliances. Yeah. Is that we, what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we don't call them hypermarkets in the U.S. Yeah. Hypermarket is a very European phrase, and Butcher it's French, so um, French. Um, but we don't really call them that here, mostly because it sounds horrifying and dystopian. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks about uh, the form hypermarket can thus help us understand what is meant by the end of modernity. The large cities have witnessed the birth in about a century of a generation of large modern stores. Many carried this name in one way or another. But this fundamental modernization linked to that of transportation did not overthrow the urban structure. The cities remain cities, whereas the new cities are satellitized by the hypermarket or the shopping center, serviced by a programmed traffic network and cease being cities to become metropolitan areas. A new morphogenesis has appeared, which comes from the cybernetic kind that is to say reproducing at the level of the territory of the home of transit the scenarios of molecular control that are those of the genetic code and whose form is nuclear and satellitic the hypermarket as nucleus the city even a modern one no longer absorbs it. it is the hypermarket that establishes an orbit along which suburbanization moves it functions as an implant for the new aggregates as the university or even the factory sometimes also does no longer the 19th century factory nor the decentralized factory that without breaking the orbit of the city is installed in the suburbs but the montage factory Factory, automated by electronic controls, that is to say, corresponding to a totally deterritorialized de- 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 function and mode of work. With this factory, as with the hypermarket or the new university, what is no longer dealing with functions, commerce, work, knowledge, leisure, that are automated and displaced, which still characterizes the, quote, modern unfolding of the city, but with a model of the disintegration of functions, of the indeterminacy of functions, and of the disintegration of the city itself, which is transplanted outside the city and treated as a hyper-real model, as the nucleus of a metropolitan area area based on synthesis that no longer has anything to do with the city negative satellites of the city that translate the end of the city even of the modern city as a determined qualitative space as an original synthesis of a society um golly golly yeah a lot a lot to take in but i i think about i i think about 
I've been thinking about stuff like that a lot because I live in the middle of the woods. Um, and uh, I, the nearest place, like, so I live, uh, the nearest town, the nearest, like, city, quote-unquote city to me, it's not really a city, uh, it's this place called Southbury, Connecticut. Um, and in Southbury, there is a plaza that I used to work in. Um, I don't work there anymore. Uh, and I was there recently to get a haircut, and they were like, hey, it's gonna be, like, two hours before we can cut your hair. Um... Uh, do you want to come back? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go walk over to like the fucking Panera bread that's on the other side of this plaza uh, and get lunch there. And then I'll come back. Um, is, that when, is that when you saw it's like the? Yes, I saw those Panera lesbians. Um, <laughs> notable, notable Panera lesbians. Yeah, it was it, 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 it as an experience. I don't go to that plaza very often because I don't know how to drive a car. Um, and it was, as a pedestrian in that plaza, it was alarming how hostile it was to my presence. Um, Interesting. I mean, most, yeah, modern malls are extremely, like... I uh, would not, uh, glorify this place with the, uh, assignment of mall. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it's it's a, it's a plaza, and it has. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're they're all the same. They all have no way of walking into. Once you're there, you can walk around. There's not um, even a way to walk around at this one. There's a oh, interesting. there's a sidewalk that stretches along like opposite sides of it, so you can walk from the stop and shop that I used to work all the way down to the haircut place without having to walk into the street. But uh-huh. uh, if you want to go over to the McDonald's, which is on the other side of the plaza, you have to walk through the entire parking lot. And there's no connection. Um, okay. You know, and then if you want to walk from either the McDonald's or the Stop and Shop, uh, like, sort of island over to the Panera Bread, you also have to walk over, walk across another huge section of parking lot to where the Panera Bread yeah. sits next to the tiniest music store in the, in the world. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I was, just, I was just in a, a mall in San Diego uh, last week. And, it's, yeah, it's horrifying, like, all, like, there's, like, a certain, like, like wealthy California mall. Oh yeah, and they all, they all look the same. Now, and like I, I was with my friend, and I was like, I think I came here last time I was in San Diego, and I was like, wait, maybe I, maybe I came, <laughs> maybe it's, maybe I think about Stanford because like, the, the malls like there like there's there's a fucking Tesla dealership with like an open thing and like fucking cars there. Like there's there's the same luxury brands. It's just it's a it's yeah it's a nightmare. They all have the same kind of like space planning it's 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 spooky um there's uh there's a the luxury mall thing has become a big trend in new york city recently there are Mm. three that opened up in new york city over the past like five years there's one called the oculus which is sort of perversely directly underneath ground zero Um, and then there's one called hudson yards that i haven't been to and there's another one that i forget the name of that i also haven't been to but i've been to the oculus because i was down um i went with my my sister and uh and her boyfriend um they came up to visit and they had never been to new york city so we decided to go and do a bunch of tour stuff and we were down not going to the statue of liberty but looking but standing in battery park and looking at the statue of liberty um Mm -hmm. and if you want to and we we were going up to a place in soho uh and then if you want to go up to soho you take the e and the e station is inside the oculus or you have to go through the Mm -hmm. oculus to get there so we went into the oculus um, and it's a uh-huh. fucking nightmare in there. Um, I'm sure. Like we, and it was it was extra surreal because we like walked past like the two like 
enormous like holes in the ground that have been filled with water and and like gilded in obsidian that mark where <laughs> the the twin towers used to be with right, the, with right. a list of names of every single person who died on September 11th and then we walked downstairs and we bought a ludicrously overpriced candy um, in this hideous in this hideous postmodern monstrosity um, it was the worst it made me it made me think that a nuclear apocalypse would be a good idea. Uh, it made me, yeah. It, it was, yeah. I was, I was just like, man, we deserve nine eleven too. <laughs> like we. Oh God. Now all I can think of is that that fake big dog's shirt. Oh, yeah. remember that one? Which one? Anyways, oh, it's just the, it's just like the big dog being like, buddy, America deserved nine eleven. <laughs> Uh, I think I think Twitter user Dog Boner made it. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of horrible things that make you question your question your faith in humanity, the first short of oh, the Animatrix. Oh yes. Um, so yeah. So we can talk about the Animatrix. What were your overall thoughts on the Animatrix? Having watched both the Matrix and the Animatrix for the first time in a while. Um, the Matrix I thought was like still a fun action movie. Uh, I, I, it was it was a good time. Uh, I had forgotten, kind of. I think I'd forgotten the lows of the Animatrix. Yes. Um. Uh, and and boy, are there some. Uh, the, the episodes that I liked, I still liked. Yeah, I thought that at best the Animatrix was boring, and at worst <laughs> it was fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> I will also I will also say about the Matrix. I didn't even particularly think that it was a good action movie, but it's just not to my taste in action movies. Um, yeah, yeah. It's I I have I have a deep loathing for fight scenes where nobody looks like they're getting hurt. Um, <laughs> you know, like like if you yeah. because all I can see in a movie shot like the Matrix or in a movie shot like the modern the 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 Avengers movies or in in most yeah. action in most action movies where the People in them are don't know how to fight. They're just like celebrities who like have stunt doubles. Um, like in most in most movies, all I can see is the camera cuts to deliberately sh- not show the actual moment of people getting hit because none of these people know how to fight or take a punch. And some VFX artists working very hard to make it look like these people flailing around are actually having a fight. Um, <laughs> And I, I, like, there's so much more, there's so much more honor and entertainment in a good fight scene. Like, you see these a lot in, like, classic kung fu movies, uh, like yes. Hong Kong kung fu movies, like Bruce Lee stuff, um, or, like, even Jackie Chan stuff. Jackie Chan's really good at this. Is like, a fight that takes place almost entirely in the wide shot, where two people, where you just see two people punching each other. Like, yeah, yeah. and you can only do that if you're Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan because they're actually <laughs> masters of martial arts. <laughs> like, um, you know, which is why it doesn't get done very often because it's like, well, people don't want to see movies starring people who know how to fight. They want to see movies starring, I don't know. I tried to think. I tried to think of a Robert Downey Jr. He's a famous person. Chris Evans. Um, Chris Evans. Yeah, they want to see movies fighting starring Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans, and that's why I have a lot more respect for John Wick because. Keanu Reeves actually learned how to fight, and as a result, uh, in that movie, most of the fight scenes are done in wide shots, and they feel so much 
cooler and more brutal yeah. and like just it's more fun to watch Keanu Reeves actually Keanu Reeves who actually knows how to fight fight a bunch of extras who also know how to fight because they don't have to be famous they're just guys who are on screen to get killed in two seconds by John Wick you know <laughs> I still haven't seen it I will though uh, you know so like when you have that and you can do these just way more fun fight scenes that are done in like long takes and wide shots um, that wind up feeling way more interesting to look at than the matrix which is just a bunch of people sort of like being balleted around by visual effects <laughs> balleted around is yeah. a good way of putting it uh, anyway so yes so the final flight of the osiris is the first short film in the anime is, is it final flight of the osiris is a soft a softcore pornography written and directed by I don't actually. I don't it was written and directed by the guy yeah. who did the animation direction on Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, and that's all you need to know. That's all I need to know. Thank you. Uh, yeah. If do you know? Have you ever seen anything about the Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within? No. The only Final Fantasy I have experience with is Final Fantasy X Two, which I streamed part of. Got very bored very quickly and did not finish. So Final Fantasy The Spirits Within is not a Final Fantasy game. It is a Final Fantasy film that was released in the early 2000s. And oh my. it's terrible. If you ever want to see the definition of the Uncanny Valley, just look up Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. I will do that. I, I, will, I will not do that. Just look it up right now. I want you to see what it looks like. <sighs> okay. Uh, final to see the spirits within yep ra -da -da, ra -da -da. I see some nakedness really yeah I have safe well, shop on DuckDuckGo and I don't see any well, nakedness well not not naked naked but like it's really bad it's a really bad looking movie yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the guy who did the animation for this this film, who directed the animation on this film, sense. did uh, Final Fight of the Osiris. So this uh, short film is it, it 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 looks like the the first thing that I wrote is holy fucking hell this is ugly ugly looking like an episode of Code Lyoko, uh, which is it's the best Code Lyoko. Code Lyoko was a children's television show when I uh, when I was young. Uh, you should probably just look up a picture of it because I'm not going to be able to describe it. it. It's like it was like it's a French TV show and like half of it was 2D animated in this sort of anime style and the other half was 3D animated. Uh, was oh, wait, the English voice actress for the woman in this in this um, uh, in this short is the same voice actress who did Bobby in King of the Hill. <laughs> that's that's good. And Spinelli in Recess. Uh, that's good shit. Whips. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the when Alex calls it softcore porn, she is not exaggerating. It begins with this very long fight sequence between some dude and some lady. Um, some dude who I thought was supposed to be Morpheus until like the end of this movie when I realized he he wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, like, just look, yeah, like the the Wikipedia, uh, Captain Thaddeus and. Jew engage in a blindfolded sword fight in a virtual reality dojo. With each slice of their swords, they remove another part of each other's clothing. Immediately after cutting yep. the other down to their underwear, they lift their blindfolds to peek at the other. 
as the two are about to yeah. kiss. And when the, the here, here's where the bullshit in, in this in this is is that when when Thaddeus peeks at um the the lady uh and she's naked, we get this like super gratuitous ass shot. Uh, oh yeah. And then but then when she peeks at Thaddeus, we get nothing. We get a shot Love of her him. face looking at him, and I was like, "Show us Morpheus's dick right now!" <laughs> they can't even do their fan service right. Yeah, show us this motherfucker's dick. Um, yeah, but also the other thing that I kept wondering is like, you can't just fuck in here. You're in the construct. Other people can fucking look at you. Like, yeah, everybody be, on the bridge like, of the ship can see you fucking, you're in the construct, what are you doing? And, and, and like, because their their actual bodies are sitting in there, like, in the, in the chairs, but they're plugged in, like, you just see this, I just imagine this fucking boner. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, like, yeah, when you get plugged in, it's just right out in the open. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, he, so yeah the, he would definitely have a boner. So this, uh-huh. so this, 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 um, yeah, this is the only the construct one. is like the worst idea of all time. So this is the only one that's like, like overtly canon. Um, I think what's well, written by the Wachowskis. <laughs> God. Uh, and it takes place after, after the first movie and before the second one. Um, yeah. So the beginning of the second one, like Morpheus and the other ship captains are talking about the Osiris and, and that package that was that she drops off at the end of the short, and 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 that package uh, is is the beginning of the video game Enter the Matrix. Yeah, yeah, I I did play the Enter the Matrix. <laughs> uh, did you ever look, play the Matrix I, online? No, I didn't have I didn't have a good enough computer or internet, but it, was, it came out on the GameCube, so I played Enter the Matrix. Back when the Matrix online uh, came out, uh, or when the Matrix online was being shut down, Giant Bomb did a stream. Uh, where where they they said they 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 logged on to the Matrix online and hung out on there until the servers were shut down. Oh, that rules! Yeah. So the, yeah, so the, so after after the after they fuck, um, they 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 have been they have been scouting around, and for some reason, they are way too. They get right up to the surface of of Earth, and they see that uh, like the machines are digging from the surface down to Zion and they're they're like basically they're they're launching an attack on the on the human city so so um, so then the rest of the short is um, Jew going back into the matrix to basically uh, deliver a message to the other captains uh, before before the Osiris is destroyed and so yeah, so that that information is what prompt is is kind of what triggers the plots of the next two movies. Yeah. But the next two movies are bad, and you don't have to watch. Them. I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and then they die, and they get they, the other thing that this movie had me confused about was since when does the ship have guns? Why didn't they fucking use those at the end of the Matrix? Uh, what well, maybe. It- different ship well i know it's a different yes. ship but like it's clearly like the same model of ship um yeah well let's see they um 
Well, they were all dead. I mean, in the in the in the main Matrix movie, like by the end of the movie, they're all like a skeleton crew. Like Switch has died. Yeah, but Trin- but like at the ten, very ten. end of it, Trinity's still there uh, on the ship, and then Morpheus, and they're getting into that firefight, and then um, Trinity and Morpheus are both in on the ship and they could be shooting stuff because fucking pilot tank is his yeah. name is is flying uh, the ship so it's fine yeah. but instead trinity just wants to eye fuck neo i don't know because uh, she doesn't that's, care that's... if if all of her friends die and her ship is destroyed maybe there are too many to to, to be able to take out uh, that's okay maybe they just hadn't i i assume that they just hadn't thought of the fact that the ship would have guns also also that uh yeah, because in the Matrix, they make it very clear that, like, you can't shoot the robots. The only way to destroy them is with the EMP. Yeah. And then oh, there's it, lots of shooting in the, in the later movies. Yeah, and then if, in this short, they just shoot the robots. <laughs> uh, which is still boring. Uh, but yeah, so Final Fantasy Osiris, it's bad. It's a bad short. Um, it's terrible. Um, it's, so, it's so bad. Oh my god, it's so oh. bad. Uh, <laughs> and so then we get the two-part short, quote-unquote short, uh, which is the second renaissance. Uh, so already a huge visual improvement because it's actually 2D uh, and it's directed mm-hmm. by somebody who knows what he's doing. It's directed by a guy this named is Mahiro Maeda. Yes. Who, he uh, apparently did concept art and design for Mad Max Fury Road. That's cool. He designed uh, two of the the angels from Ava. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, okay, so he's 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 hasn't been a like a major like uh yeah. he, director yeah. but he's but he's been like he's he's, he's been around kind of, he's 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 done work quietly in the yeah. background yeah he, he worked on nausicaa the valley of the wind castle in the sky and porco rosso uh yeah so yeah so this one this one is basically a um uh this these two this two-part bit is about just kind of a history of how the war started between humans and yeah. machines and this the sec- the second renaissance i hated both of these i hated them yeah. so much um they are a perfect example of why canon is an abyss um and why <laughs> lore is terrible and must be destroyed um because when you so like the matrix at the film works because it's vague enough about the origins of the matrix that the matrix itself and the robots and stuff can function as metaphors, you know, that they, they can function as, even if it's not perfect, the robots can function as metaphors for capitalism or capitalists and the matrix itself can function as a metaphor for capitalism. Like, but when you make the, when you project backwards and are like, actually, (laughs) actually, uh, humanity invented the robots and then did civil, did like civil rights crimes to them. Uh, and then they (laughs) went and they founded robot Israel in the desert. Um, yeah, it's so good because the the, the robot city called zero one Zion. uh, It's more likely, more likely than you think. Yeah. I, I hate every second of this because of it, 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 it adds nothing it adds absolutely nothing and it makes it makes the metaphor of the film weaker by giving us this fucking sympathetic backstory for the robots which is just like well maybe we did humans deserve to be uh uh, subjugated because we treated the robots so badly ever thinking about that you hey you went to that mall i did i do think humans deserve to be subjugated um but 
not because we treated the robots so badly. It's because we make luxury balls at Ground Zero. Um, oh, okay. Um, you know, because it it's like it it it's this sort of impulse that it's this sort of toxic impulse that a lot of people have where it's like, well, if you're going to create a bad guy, you know, we have to understand that the bad guy is doing stuff because I mean, you know, it's, it's like when you, when, if, when you were a kid and you got bullied by some shithead at school and then like the teacher would just be like, well, you have to think about what his home life must be like. And it's like, shut up, shut up, dipshit. You know, it's exactly that same shit. You know, and it completely destroys it because then. Well, it's I mean, it's le- it's less that and more that the original it is it, it, it's it's allegorical, and then it's being it's being made literal. I mean, it's like it's less yeah. it's less it's less uh, humanizing. It's it's less it's less the problems of humanization and more just the problems of literalization. Yeah, because like uh, if you try to map these movies onto the allegory that's being made in the in the first in the in the Matrix, it doesn't fucking work at all. Like it yeah. like what are these ro- what do these robots represent? They represent nothing. They're just robots. This yeah, is no no. They're, I mean, if you look at if you read the Wikipedia, they represent black people. Like, <laughs> uh, so the relationship between humans and machines changes in the year 2090 when a domestic android is threatened by its owner. The android, named B16XER, a reference to Baker Thomas, the, uh, the character of Richard Wright's native son. Oh my god, I didn't even pick up on that. I just laughed because... Uh, me, me, me neither. This robot's uh, name then, is Bigger! Damn! Uh, then uh, kills the owner of the pets, the mechanic... The murder is the first incident of an artificially intelligent machine killing a human. Uh, Baker is arrested and put on trial, but justified the crime as self-defense, stating that it simply did not want to die. During the trial scene, there is a voiceover of the defense attorney, uh, quoting a famous line from Dred Scott in 1856, which implicitly ruled that African Americans were not entitled to citizenship under United States law. I did Using pick this up on precedent, that. The prosecution argues that machines are not entitled to the same rights as human beings, and specifically that human beings have the right to destroy their property. Blah 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 blah. blah. Um, yeah, Which well, is yeah. All, all I all I really liked about um, these was like so, like some of the like not what was cinematography the right word. Yeah, they're very good looking. Uh, you know. Yeah, like like they it it. Um, so yes, it was like some of the like the, some, some of the pieces during the riots and during during the like wartime scenes were were very well done. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I fucking couldn't stand this shit. Um, <laughs> I fucking I hated it so much. I ugh, ugh. Let's 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 just leave it. Let's move on. Shall let's just we? leave it. They also have like the anime pope, I think, at one point in here, and he's just like some young guy with white hair in a suit. Oh, I don't know if that's the anime pope. So yeah, so yeah. So in in the second part, when they're when they're when we learn how they blacked out the sun, um, they're like they have this little bit just before the operation dark sky or whatever it's called, uh, where like all of the all of the different like um, organized religions are complicit in this. Like the, there are Buddhist monks like in the trenches, and like some some 
um, Christian fucker is wheeling a, a TV with, I don't know if it's young Pope or just some uh, bishop talking about how this is the right thing to do. And then we see some uh, Muslim soldiers praying. Yeah. But so yeah, young Pope it, uh, may, may be canon in the world of the Matrix. Yeah, God, the fucking young Pope. It makes me- I that that I liked the young pope that that I'll give it. Um, I I thought that was very funny. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just this. It just in in one fell swoop by seeking to to answer shit. It's the same problem with like the fucking Star Wars expanded universe novels, you know, or or all sorts of shit where it's like every single thing has got to have an explanation. You know, it can't just be. When, when Han Solo says that I made the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs, it can't just be that he's bullshitting and, and like, pulling out a bunch of big words, you know, to, like, try to impress these two guys who have no idea what he's talking about. Or it can't just be that the writers didn't know what they were talking about and don't know that a parsec is a measure of distance, not a measure of time. It has to be that the Kessel run is some real thing that Han Solo actually did. And when, when he says less than 12 parsecs, what the Kessel run is, is it's like it's a bunch of black holes and you try to get close and you go faster the closer you get to them. But obviously if you get too close, then you get sucked in. And he did the Kessel run by getting less than 12 parsecs away from one of the black holes. You know, oh, is that what it's that is for? actually that, the explanation! That's, that's incredible. I did not know that. That's yeah. incredible. You know, one of the expanded universe novels. I forget which one. And it's Amazing. it's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's so stupid. You know, and it's so much worse than just leaving it be. And this is the exact same thing. It's the exact same well, we said there was a war between robots and humans. We have to come up with some justification for that. We have to explain what the war was. We have to explain all of this stuff. We have to keep explaining forever. I, I think, like, I I, this is I, slightly less bad because like it's it was I, as far as I know it was more like they 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 got some directors together and it was like go nuts basically and I don't think the Wachowskis like gave gave out like prompts for these directors I think they were my I'm guessing that they were given a pretty free reign to explore what interested them so it's let me see oh well let's see while in, the, while in Japan, the Wachowskis visited, visited some of the directors of anime films that had been a strong influence on their work and decided to collaborate with them. The Animatrix was conceived and overseen by the Wachowski, but they, but they only wrote four of the segments themselves and did not direct any of their animation. Okay, so that's not quite so clear as to how much kind of like... Did, did they... Was it, was it um, Maeda who was like, this is something interesting to me? Or was it Wachowski being like, let's let's lure, let's lure, let's let's let's, let's lure, let's let's lure ourselves up. It looks like based on Wikipedia that it was probably Maeda's idea because he said it says he used bits and pieces of information written by the Wachowskis as a prequel to the series for the ba- as a base for the first part. Mm. Um, and so it seems like most of this stuff was made up by him. Uh, yes. You know, but like that's true of the fucking Kessel Run bullshit. You know, like George Lucas didn't write any of that stuff. It was just some dude who was writing true. a universe novel. Um, true right yeah I, I, I like you know like for, I, for, yeah for some reason that the the expanded universe novel feels like has more of the like the stamp of canon on it than than all of these shorts see i feel the other way around uh, the other way around i feel like oh, these, i feel like the expanded universe novels especially now that disney has declared none of them canon um, well yeah yeah but like expanded universe novels like they're just fucking whatever but like they're just a book anybody can write one of those but like the, especially <laughs> because the wachowskis like 
over like personally oversaw all of this production and like i'm sure yeah. that if anybody wanted to write a story that they didn't like the idea of uh or if anybody wound up writing something that they thought was bad they would have told them and not like put their name on it you know yeah. you know whereas like george lucas's name isn't on any of that expanded universe shit he didn't care he didn't read any of those novels <laughs> you know what actually part of, can he can he even read part of the problem with the prequels is that he read too many of those novels uh, <laughs> uh and then came up with ideas for shit like midichlorians oh, oh god the star wars prequels are so bad this is completely unrelated to anything but man if you're if you're a motherfucker out there who's like on the defending the star wars prequels train that has become really popular on the internet in the last few years fuck you it's become really popular in the last few years oh yeah i've seen so many people defending the star wars prequels Um, like like the most i've seen is like there's the shell of a good idea in there somewhere (laughs) yeah i have Uh, seen i think I i do think that that's true uh, but yeah, I, like, I, like, but like, how the how like how the Jedi like in, you know, like frozen by like institutional stasis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's not really what ends up being told. Yeah, um, I've seen people compare it. Speaking of to bring it all the way around to the Wachowskis, I've seen people compare it to uh, people defending Speed Racer um, because Speed Racer. Everybody fucking hated Speed Racer when it came out, and now everybody agrees that Speed Racer is a masterpiece. I haven't seen Speed Racer. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I'm guessing it's somewhere in between. Yeah, um, you know, but like for year, for like a decade after Speed Racer came out, there were like a handful of people who were insisting that Speed Racer is amazing, um, mm-hmm. and like it's still the same thing with this fucking Star Wars prequels. Like nobody's as enthusiastic about the Star Wars prequels as people who like Speed Racer are about Speed Racer, but yeah, yeah. Um, like this, this st- motherfuckers out there. The Star Wars prequels are not, like, an underrated gem or anything like that. The Star Wars prequels are fucking yeah. terrible. Please uh, interrogate your urge towards contrarianism. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the second Renaissance was terrible. Uh, maybe uh, the fourth one will... Maybe the fourth one will, will be okay. And it actually is. This one's okay. Uh, yeah, well, it's Watanabe, so... Uh, uh, yes, it's, yeah. it's directed by Shinichiro Watanabe, who is amazing and a genius. Uh, director of Cowboy Bebop and uh, Carol and Tuesday and Space Dandy and uh, Samurai Champloo, amongst other things. Uh, yeah, so this is... Uh, actually, this, actually, this is another one that's, like, pretty, pretty kind of fits neatly into the into the yeah like the canon of the of the films because the 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 protagonist actually is in the the second two movies uh so yeah so it's about this kid he's a high school student and he just wants to know what the matrix is and he keeps investigating it um you know sound familiar yeah he's just like neo but he's in high school uh and he you know gets a phone call in in the middle of class and his um and this is where i i so I, I, I thought this one was okay, and then I got mad at it, and I hate it now. Um, because, huh. and I, I first got the inkling of it when the professor said, Mr. Popper, uh, turn on, what is my policy on phones? Uh, and I was like, huh. And then there's like a chase sequence where he's getting chased by the agents, and then he climbs up to the, to the top of the school building and like places his faith in our Lord and Savior, Neo. Um, and falls off the roof, and then he, he, like, pulls it, he, like, jacks himself out of the Matrix. Um, and then at the end, uh, it shows a shot of his tombstone, 
which tells us that his his name, I forget what his first name is, but his middle and last name is Karl Popper, and I said, fuck off, oh. fuck you! I I did not notice that. Oh, I'm so shit. I got I I so I hate it now. Yeah, that sucks. His last his fucking name is Karl Popper. I'm so that's fucking a, mad. It's so bullshit. Yeah, his name. full name is Michael Karl Popper, and it says that on his tombstone. And I Amazing. I hate it. Amazing. I hate it so much. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Karl Popper was an early 20th century analytic philosopher. Um. Yeah, who, who largely worked in philosophy uh, of science. Yeah, um, yeah, man, fucking Carl. His name is fucking Karl Popper, and I'm I hate it. <laughs> oh baby, oh baby. Yeah, but the, yeah, the 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 highlight of this one is the chase scene because it's yeah. incredibly stylized and very cool. Uh, and yeah, like yeah, like the style uh, of this one is so good. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the like the later ones that we'll talk about have extremely bad like 3d cgi yeah incorporated this does not yes uh, yeah it has this really cool sort of like sketchbook style um the colors are great yeah it's it's really good like like the sketches he has in his notebook Mm -hmm. when he's not paying attention to class because he's thinking about the matrix damn um yeah so so yeah there's not too much to say about kid story uh you know there's not much yeah, it's it's short and fun. Yeah, it's 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 pretty good. I enjoyed watching it. Uh, and then there's program, which which is mm. which is looks cool. It looks pretty cool. It looks it's very '90s anime. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's got the, the, the like very like like stark like all the shadows are just like pure black kind of look. Um, like yeah, hard like th- thick um line work yeah a lot of yeah thick outlines like like everything is either like fully saturated or black um and there's like it's 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 it it looks pretty fucking dope uh and it really works for the setting and it's 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 about like um what one of the it's about about sexism yeah it's about yeah one of the girls (laughs) is named the the protagonist of this one is named sis with a c uh which is huh Hmm. Uh, 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 uh. I mean, like, it, it would be tempted to read into that, but it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> and, and 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 her, like, and like the the other, yeah, the other guy uh, is named Duo. Mm. Yeah, and mm. so they're they're both like samurai, and they're like having a sword fight in like feudal Japan, uh, and it's fucking sick. And they're talking about uh, whether they regret. Um, taking the red pill um and then this one guy i posted this on mastodon uh because i thought it was really funny where the guy the guy samurai dude says i took the red pill to learn what the truth was but now i don't care about the truth or about reality and it's just like oh so you're a men's rights activist hey and I, yeah, so, so. <laughs> uh, it's it's really good it's good yeah so the, yeah they're in the simulation they're just like dicking around and and shooting the shit, and then uh, Duo is pulls a cipher on us, and is like, "I'm going back into the Matrix. I'm sick of this bullshit." Uh, and then, so, and then he's like, "Come with me, sissy." 
and they have to they have to fight for real this time. Uh, yeah, and then they fight, and then it turns out that it's that it's simply a program designed to test her commitment to the cause. And then yeah, she because w- she thinks she, she thinks she kills him. Yeah, uh, and then and then she wakes up, and like everyone else is wearing clothes, and she's in her underwear for some reason. Because this is like, in the well, wait till the last one. Oh, the last one. Okay, yeah. We'll we'll yeah. talk about the last one. Well, when we get to the last one. She, yeah, she had she had her her her. She had a, it was very it was very um, Ghost in the Shell vibe. Yeah. Of of just being mostly naked for no good reason. Yeah. And so she punches him for for tricking her like that, and that's that. Uh, I feel like I think there's some good gifts in there that I didn't that I didn't uh, take, so I should probably scrape that one again. I found some good cat gifts. There are some good cat gifts. Uh, yeah, so program. Then there's world record. I went on a fucking journey uh, with the animation style of world record because I started off hating it, and then by the end of it, I was totally I was like I'm I'm sold on this style. Uh, oh yeah, I like, I like it. It's just like it has this just crazy, like all the same sort of very '90s, like hard, hard shadows sort of. Sort but it also has this. It also has this kind of very like organic, like yeah. bulgy feeling. Yeah. Uh, because it's about it's about it's about uh, a sprinter, and so like that how they how they do his muscles. Yeah. Uh, when he's running, it's really his gross. Sweat coming out of his body. It's 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 it's, it's great. It's extremely gross and it's awesome. Um, but yeah, like there, I have tons of screenshots of like people's faces looking crazy. Like yeah, everything because like the character designs and like the the like a lot of the, the individual frames are very angular, but like they all move in this sort of like bulbous organic way. It's yeah, so yeah, unsettling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is about like yeah, like um, so so in the earlier with the kid, the one who jumped, the one who took a skateboard through school and then jumped off the roof to kind of self actualize. So like. Um, apparently like yeah he he was one of the the rare few to like kind of like unplug himself whereas like in the in the original matrix like um neo had to be gotten like unplugged by by morpheus uh and and the whatever there's that bizarre scene in the Matrix where he touches the mirror and the silver stuff goes all over his skin and down his throat. Oh, yeah. and they, they trigger something in him to like, to like, to like disrupt the, his connection to the Matrix, and that's how he yeah. And he wakes up covering goo. Yeah. So in the kid and in this world record one, it's it's about people who are like are able to actually kind of like disconnect themselves without that sort of um, external stimuli. And so, in in this case, uh, it's by uh, it's by just like him physically pushing his body so far that he attains some sort of transcendence, and and and, and, and wakes up. Yeah, yeah. He sprints so hard and he wakes up covered in goo. So, yeah. So he's he's. Uh, um, and I also I find I find these interesting in terms of the allegory, like the sort of like broader metaphor that the Matrix is working from, because like the idea that you can't get out of the Matrix yourself, like somebody else has to help you see it is like like the Matrix is a movie, or at least the first half of the Matrix. The second half of the Matrix doesn't give a shit about this at all. Uh, but the first half <laughs> of the Matrix is a movie very much about like community 
like and like like the way that um like helping each other out and like the way that yeah. like you're you're helping you're helping people and you're helping people see things for the way that they are in a way that is like extremely obviously an allegory for like leftist organizing um Ooh, yeah and then the second half doesn't give a shit because uh who cares uh about organizing when you have a magic boy who can change the matrix to be whatever he wants <laughs> yeah uh so yeah so you were saying that connects with this in interesting ways because these are when people who yeah kind of independently yeah because it, it's and it's definitely like how if you independently bootstrap yourself out of the matrix like what does that say allegorically you know like the, right. the the existence of these people almost makes it less interesting you know because it implies like it sort of doubles down on the sort of bullshit individualism of the end of the matrix where it's like yeah, well if you're yeah. strong enough and you're cool enough you know and you can run really fast you know then you can fucking pull yourself out of the matrix by yourself and you don't need jack shit from anybody else you know and it's like man that's some fucking libertarian ass bullshit mm-hmm. uh, so as much as i liked kid story and world record uh contextually they are questionable a little a little iffy um you know but i also just get the sense that like nobody who was working on these short films gave even the slightest shit about building (laughs) on like the metaphor or or anything from the matrix and we're just they they like it was it's that fucking picture of the 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 guy with like the the tank firing the bullet over his head where he's like wow cool robot except it's like wow what if we were in a simulation and the bullet going over the guy's head is is uh yeah is baudrillard is is yeah capitalism is a prison I don't think the, I don't think Lanowski brought like six copies of Baudrillard to Japan with her well, to like hand out. Yeah, well, well, she made everybody on set fucking read uh, oh, Simulacra right. Simulation. Oh Jesus, fuck! I forgot that. So never mind. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah the Wikipedia says that D- Dan, the runner, um, like the 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 kind of the pre- like the pressure he's putting himself under actually causes his his in, in his pod counter his real world pod counterpart to actually just physically like rip himself out unplug himself like so it wasn't just it wasn't like he like awoke through transcendence he just like was like causing his real world body to like seize up so hard that it just accidentally unplugged <laughs> Which is another, which raises further allegorical questions, doesn't it? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Um, the, ne- the next one, Beyond, is probably my favorite. Uh, it's certainly which, cute. Yeah, it's it's very cute and uh, there's pretty. A, there's, a, there's a cat in it, so I know. It's a kitty, yeah. so... I think I, it's a yeah, very I think it's I a just, very large cat. My only I think my only note a big chunky boy. Yeah, my only but, note for this for this entire one was oh lord he coming. <laughs> my only note is just the cat face emoji uh, or the uh, emoticon. Yeah, I, uh, I literally so, the only screenshot I took of this one was of this big this fat cat. <laughs> uh, I love him. So ah, it's, it's about I just so, bit my tongue. Oh, I thought but, you just. Singing about, singing about the cat. No. So Yoko is. <laughs> Ow! Uh, Fuck! Oh no! I'm okay. I'm okay. Keep okay, talking. Okay. So 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 the main character is this teen girl Yoko, um, looking for her cat Yuki, and then uh, so she, she so Yuki 
disappears. So she's going around looking for looking for Kitty Cat, and then she runs into some like looks like elementary school age kids. And she's like, "Have you seen my cat?" And they're like, "Yeah, we we saw a Kitty over by the haunted house." Uh, and so she follows them over there to this like old dilapidated building. Dang it, I'm <laughs> old dilapidated is, is verbatim what the Wikipedia says. I've got to work better on Yeah, paraphrase. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, so it turns out that, like, what it, they, they call it haunted because it's got a bunch of, like, glitches in the, mat- glitches in the matrix. Hey, deja vu. I said that twice. Uh, remember, remember, remember the black cat? Yeah, the so it means they changed something and we're all going to die. Uh, so all sorts of weird things are happening in this isolated air in this kind of all isolated in this in this old building so the kids play this game where they smash a glass bottle on the ground and then after a second it bounces back reform and they try and see who can grab it first Uh, like rain falls from without clouds and like yeah they like they they play this game where they they just jump off of like a big off of like somewhere high and then just like stop inches before they hit the ground yeah so it's like yeah it's like a modern year chicken where they where yeah they, they seem to be they can like control like when they stop falling and, and they try and see who can who can get closest to the ground before yeah. they stop uh and so yeah it's just it's just a really pretty short um and then but of course of, of, of these kids like kind of just having fun in the matrix but of course it's it, it the, the the mission the powers that be detect this this these glitches and send a giant truck to like sterilize the space and it just turns into like a, a parking parking lot and it, it seems there's there's might be something interesting here about how at the end like the kids are looking through the fence at this park and not wondering and like they try. They try and smash bottles. They try and like uh, drop things, and nothing happens. And then the, some of the kids are like this is boring, and they they take off. And then and then the main character, the teen girl, uh, she hangs around. She like drops, tries dropping a can, and then cuts her thumb. And she, um, and so it's it. There's maybe something interesting about like um, kind of not innocence but like imagination and how the how like when Morpheus is talking about how the matrix is control and how it it how it stifles kind of the the creativity and sense of kind of possibility that these kids have when they're experimenting um, in this in this glitchy, glitchy house but I don't think I don't think it it doesn't. It, it doesn't really dive into that. It, um, it's more interested in the in the really pretty visuals, uh, and it's fun. It's nice. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun. It's a fun little one. It's one of the ones that I thought was merely boring and not just bad. <laughs> uh, as was the next one, uh, a detective story, which is another uh, Shinichiro Watanabe joint, and boy howdy, is it a Shinichiro Watanabe joint. Uh, it is like fucking it's fucking film noir it's got jazz it's got hip-hop it's got everything it's a shinichiro watanabe joint 
<laughs> yep. A hard-boiled detective. Yeah, it's 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 fucking good. Um, and so it follows this private detective who gets contacted by someone anonymous over the phone. It's an agent. Um, telling him uh, to find a hacker named Trinity. Uh, and he discovers that several other detectives have taken the job before. One of them disappeared, one of them died, and the third one won't come out of his room. Um, and so he goes to see that one, and then uh, there's a bunch of Alice in Wonderland references, which uh, are just, they're, like, at this point, I'm, I'm, so, it, I'm it, so tired. It, it's really silly. Yeah, it's very goofy. Uh, how, how he, how he, like, yeah, how he un, un, unpuzzles the mystery. Yeah, and he's okay. like, I'm looking for someone named Red Queen, an Alice in Wonderland <laughs> reference. Ooh. And then he yeah, he gets into the the right IRC channel and yeah. Uh, well, they always and, they always, it's always an IRC like it's I know I don't understand how they're talking because it's not IRC like in I know. in the Matrix it looks like you're chatting on like a Google Doc. <laughs> I mean, no, it's like it's just like a terminal, and then yeah. like s- somehow Trinity like. Hacks the hacks yeah. your terminal and like writes writes uh, on the display, and so so our our hard boiled detective before meeting Trinity he runs out forgets his hat his cat tosses his hat to him kitty holding it in its mouth I made a gif of that one too but it was too big to upload to Mastodon um, but ex- excellent cat. Yeah, so good cat. He, gets, he, he jumps on the train and uh, and meets Trinity. Yeah. Thus. Yeah, and then he meets Trinity, and they get into a gunfight with agents. Uh, Trinity pulls like a bug out of his eye. Yeah, that's when he that's that's when he realizes what's going on is that it was an agent who uh, asked him to to find her, and that um, like like in the original Matrix when Neo had that thing in his in his, in his uh, tummy in his belly button uh this guy got something put into his eye and just remembered it as like a nightmare and so they but they were using it to track him to bring so he inadvertently brought them to trinity uh, and then they're running away through the train from these agents but because agents can kind of like possess anyone they start possessing him our our plucky detective and so trinity has to shoot him and then uh He's like, I think he's like, I'm shot in the stomach, A, and B, I think I'm too old to like, really. I'm too old uh, for this shit. Un- unplug myself from the Matrix. Uh, and so he's like, just just get out of here. Uh, we'll always have Paris. And yeah, she, she takes off and then... Um, the agents arrive and we get we get uh, extremely like noir yeah face off face off between the the hardball detective bleeding out smoking his last cigarette yeah the gun it's very Watanabe it's great uh, but yeah I so I thought this one this was another one that I thought was merely boring uh, yeah apart from like there, there's a lot of really gorgeous environment shots in this one and stuff um and it sort of like this one sort of highlights a problem that is the problem with the entire animatrix as well as with the with the matrix sequels which is that it mistakenly believes that the world of the matrix is interesting enough to warrant anything more than a single movie (laughs) you know like i don't give a shit about this story because the world of the matrix is just it's just our world 
but like yeah, with like a, yeah. an, another weird vague layer applied on top of it you well, know that's why he had to that's why he had to apply his his noir layer on top of that yeah you know so it's like most of these stories are just not very interesting because it turns out that the idea that we're all living in a computer simulation is not that interesting Um, you know, there's not much to it. And, uh, the, the animatrix sort of shows that like, as much as the matrix wishes it were ghost in the shell, it's not. (laughs) Oh dear. Well, well, we, I mean, are you going to make us watch that ghost, more ghost in the shell podcast? Uh, probably at some point. I, I, I wasn't oh, crazy dear, about, ghost in, dear, about, oh, about the film Ghost in the Shell when we recorded the podcast for it, but uh, in as time has passed since we watched it, I like it more. Interesting. Uh, especially after watching The Matrix and seeing how much better Ghost in the Shell is. Yep. Uh, it is better. Anyway. Uh, oh boy, are, are, we, are, we, are we prepared? Matriculated is terrible. That's the only thing I have to say about it. It's so... I, I couldn't follow what was happening in it, and I stopped watching it halfway through because I was so bored and it was so bad. <laughs> so, you're going to have to explain to me. Can do. So the last short is... Uh, let's see. Written and directed by Peter Chung, widely known for his work on Aeon Flux? That's a that TV I... show, I think. Okay. I thought it was a dubstep artist. <laughs> so anyway, so so the the animation is, is weird when it's when it's 2D and appalling when it's 3D. Oh god, the 3D animation uh, is it's, so it's amazing. fucking bad. And and when it's and when it's when they're together, like there's a there's a shot where like a 2D robot walks through like a doorway that has a hanging like a hanging um, cloth. The cloth is 3D. The robot's 2D. And it, it's, it's, it's just sublimely hideous. Like, there's no... There's no yeah. It's amazing. It's, it's truly incredible. The shot that anyway. made me stop watching was the shot where, like, the giant weird bug robot, like, is in that gold room, and there's that weird high-angle shot of him walking through a doorway and then through, like, a weird glass hallway. <laughs> oh, you missed the best part! It just go, go, goes completely into, like, weird acid trip mode. Uh, because that shot, like, specifically the overhead shot of him looking through the door, looks exactly like when... In Dark Souls speedruns, speedrunners glitch out the camera to get stuck on the death cam. <laughs> like, it looks like that. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, oh, anyway, anyway, anyway. And I looked yeah, at it and I was it, like, this it, is the worst thing I've ever seen. Why are we in a room that looks like the album cover to Kanye West and Jay-Z's Watch the Throne? Yeah, anyway, it gets, it gets increasingly bananas. Um, so anyway, the, the idea is um, these, there are these, these rebels living in the real world, um, kind of basically like setting up this like honey trap for like enemy, enemy machines. Uh, and they, what they, like, they, they capture machines and basically try to like convince them to be good. So they catch the machines and plug them into this into this program that they've made where that's supposed to kind of teach 
robots like about humanity and empathy and if i wanted to teach robots about humanity and empathy i would have them listen to jay-z and kanye west watch the throne or and give them drugs yeah uh and so so yeah basically like deprogramming robots <laughs> deprogramming in the in the uh like de-radicalization sense so so they capture one and so the majority of the film is just this like inside this this program that's used to uh de-radicalize them and apparently the way to de-radicalize a robot is to make it think think it's on drugs yeah and it's surrounded by all these like weird nude people and a monkey yeah so they all they all jump into the into the program with it and like run around naked and, and brightly colored and then it like gets trapped in like a a weird like theater and then its skin falls off and it spends a while chasing around trying to trying to get its skin back and then it, and then it becomes like embodied in like a a kind of like anthropomorphic new new body uh and then it like it, it 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 gets horny for the the woman, uh, and then the then more robots attack, and all the humans die, and then it the 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 robot that was in the mate in the in the on the in, on drugs, kind of its 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 lenses go from red to green, which means you know it got it it turned good. Uh, and it unless you're red, unless you're colorblind, in which case you don't know when a robot is good or bad. That's true. Unless you have the most common type of colorblindness, in which case that information is useless to you. Yep. So it kills the invading robots. It then plugs uh, our girl Alexa back into the program to try and like chill with her a little longer. I'm surprised but she's... any of those people have names. I just looked at the Wikipedia, uh, and then she freaks out, probably because she's dying. Uh, but like she runs away from the robot, um, and then it ends with the with our our converted robot taking up her post and sitting out by the by the ocean, waiting for other enemies to come in. Oh, the Wikipedia says it ends with the converted robot looking out over the sea. The same shot used the intro with Alexa, as the robot pulled her consciousness into his hardware. Alexa, pull uh, my consciousness into your hardware. <laughs> I I, di- I didn't uh, that I didn't get that Alexa part. destroy me. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So uh, it's bad. It's bad. It's it, makes, it, it makes no sense. You uh, I oh my. It's, it's, it's uh, people it's, think it's, people it's, it's, out here thinking cats looks bad. Look at this glo- shit. It's gloriously hideous it's There's so no other way to ugly it. never 3d graphics were a mistake i am going to go back in time and smash the utah teapot <laughs> i got it there's we've never made a bigger mistake than than computer graphics oh i just saw the screenshot you posted of the of the sprinter and and yeah. you know the, the wild i'm considering using that as the picture as the thumbnail for the episode or just using that picture of the cat the, the really fat one either one yeah <laughs> or both <laughs> superimposed just like just, blended just, in photoshop just, just just staring at each other <laughs> like that fucking like that fucking meme of the woman yelling at the cat 
about the matrix too much i i, I agree we, uh, so yeah. alex do you have a book to recommend i absolutely do so it's actually a short story uh, uh blood child by octavia butler uh in a collected um in a collection of shorts with that as the title the title story uh, i often don't like short stories hmm. um either most short stories but, are very bad. But most, almost all the short stories in this collection are excellent. Uh, and Bloodchild is, is very good. It's about uh, 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 kind of like a refugee group of humans on some other planet who have, uh, in order to survive have kind of entered this symbiotic relationship with the alien life there in which uh, the aliens kind of pick often a male child uh, and kind of kind of grow up with them and and then once they reach probably like adolescence or teenagehood uh, implants eggs in them and then they're then uh, when they're like ready to hatch, like uh, anesthetizes the humans and like opens them up and takes the eggs out, and so it's told from the perspective of, of this boy who's been, basically been chosen by one of the aliens to be like, kind of the bearer of, of of its of its little creatures, and how just before it, it like the implantation is going to happen, he has to help kind of a, an emergency. Like a, I guess like an emergency C-section on an, uh, for, on another human who who uh, who is like alien has been like injured and, and can't and can't uh, like extract its its babies at the right time and so it's this really grisly scene of of uh, this boy and his alien cutting open this man and like taking out these blood maggots um, blood and, maggots and then and then like he has to then he begins to have second thoughts about about whether he wants to do this and um and then it, it resolves with with um, him agreeing to but i'm not i don't it's very good you should you should, you should read it um and it, yeah it, what what I just read it on the way back from San Diego. I was going to do, um, recommend something else, but kind of the idea of like this, of weird symbiotic relationships between humans and non-humans. I mean, we let's not let's not uh, uh, analyze too deeply the the <laughs> using humans as batteries in the matrix as as if that's an efficient way of like creating energy. What wasn't. Uh, weren't they originally supposed to be hard drives in like an earlier draft of the Matrix? Probably that makes so. much more sense. Uh, or am I, or am I uh, confusing that with a scenario discussed on P- Important If True where that happens? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
you, I'm not. You are the important, if true, uh, archivist. Yeah, around here. I'm so. thinking. Yeah, because they well, because they talk about because they talk about an article at one point on that show about like people using DNA as storage, uh, uh. as data storage. And they, they talk about, and th- this also makes me think of Serial Experiments Lane, because they talk about, like, what if your hard drive was just, like, a like a, a like a gross blob of flesh in a jar sitting next to your computer? <laughs> and it's like, that's why Lane's room is so moist. Yeah. That would make more sense. And, and, we, and we know, like, the, like, the producers intervened in other ways, because that, that, that character Switch was supposed to be, I think, was supposed to be, like, explicitly non-binary in the film, but... Um, like you see like they they are like because yeah. i know very very androgynous they they bind their chest it's it's like it's pretty it's pretty overt but apparently they were yeah. not they were told not to make it explicit uh, i so know that like there was people i was saying having people people as hard drives rather than batteries makes vastly more sense uh but it but it, it's, it's not as it's not as like viscerally horrifying so they probably they probably wanted to lean into like the bleh aspect yeah. as opposed to the actually holds up for two seconds if you think about it aspect well, yeah one of the most uh plaus- one of the, the most famous pieces of matrix production lore is that uh neo was originally supposed to be played by will smith Oh yeah, uh, and that uh, they tried, to, but he turned it down because uh, when they tried to explain the concept to him, he didn't understand it, <laughs> which is very funny. Uh, and he turned it down <laughs> to go fucking be in Wild Wild West. Uh, That's so funny. How well that turned out uh, for him. Oh yeah, who was who was which movie was Matt Mickelson? Oh yeah, the, it, uh, there's yeah, was an interview with him when because he was in the Rihanna music video for. Um, bitch better have my money ah yeah and he was like when he was offered it he didn't really he he knew he, he knew of rihanna but he didn't know her music at all <laughs> and so he was kind of in the dark about the whole thing and then he, in this interview he was like and I, I told my kids and they were like fuck you dad take it or we'll kill you <laughs> <laughs> i remember that yes <laughs> Or to so, your dad, take it or we'll kill if, you. If, if only Will Smith's... Well, they weren't born then. J- Jaden and what's-her-face. Yeah. Uh, to, to threaten him with ex- grievous bodily harm if he didn't take that film. But also, like, I doubt that they would have had any reason to be like, these are the people who directed Bound! <laughs> well, if they had fucking taste, Bound is awesome. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 Bound is so much fun. Like I've never seen Bound. It, it's it's just like uh, it's like an extremely like focused sh- like well made heist film. It's it's like it's it is I love what it is. Good, I should watch it. I love a good heist film. Oh, it's great! I it's fucking really love great. heist films. Um, anyway, yeah, Bloodchild by Octavia Butler. What about you, Cassie? I missed Octavia? that. That was by Octavia Butler, who fucking yeah. whips ass. Hell yeah, she's great. Um, I will just say, read anything by Octavia Butler. Uh, Parable of the Sower is uh, amazing. Uh, uh, I, I'm gonna go get the book that I'm recommending. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. Uh, woo. Werewolves of London. Uh, so the book that I'm going to recommend uh, was foreshadowed earlier. I'm going to recommend Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. Uh, I talked a bit about it earlier, but I didn't have it in front of me. Um, so, Alchemist Realism is a very, very short book uh, that I like a lot. Um, it, it 
the sort of thing that I would I would strongly recommend this as the first book that you read if you've never read any uh, like leftist political writing um, because I, I do think that it's I think there's there's a lot of people out there who are like you don't gotta read shit you know just look at Twitter and listen to Chapo and you'll be fine uh, uh, and or whatever just like like just, just like look at Twitter and it's like I understand where that perspective comes from because expecting people to have read like a bunch of books by old dead white guys that are really long and hard to read uh, is definitely elitist and is not uh, really necessary. But simultaneously, there are useful concepts that you need to be familiar with, and I see people mis sort of misunderstanding concepts all the time on the internet. Concepts like you know cultural appropriation or emotional labor, you know, that are where it's like people just sort of assume that they can pick up on them through uh, cultural osmosis. Um, and just sort of like assuming what they mean based on how what they sound like they mean, um, that it, you just fucking can't, and um, you really do have to read stuff. Um, so the other book that I, I would recommend less strongly than this one is uh, "Why Marx Was Right" by Terry Eagleton. Um, Terry Eagleton's a bit of a dipshit. Um, like he's not like an <laughs> asshole or anything like that. He's just kind of stupid. Um, <laughs> And, uh, so I'm not crazy about him or that book. Um, you know, especially the way, uh, like he, he fucking hates postmodern philosophy and bitches about it constantly in Why Marx Was Right. Um, and it's just super tedious and annoying. Um, you know, and he, you know, throws just like whole, uh, disciplines of, of philosophy under the bus, like post-colonial philosophy because they're postmodern. Um, <gasps> You know, like he, when it's, it's like, dude, if you took the time to listen to a person who wasn't you for maybe two seconds, you would, you would realize that Hannah Arendt and Edward Said have a point. Uh, but Mark Fisher does not do that. Uh, so Mark Fisher, so I talked about this a little bit earlier. I might cut that part out. I don't know. Um, but he, he, in, in less than a hundred pages sort of gives a broad overview of his concept of capitalist realism, the idea that um, capitalism has has sort of constructed a or has sort of constructed an illusory reality that is a subset of actual reality, and that it continues to exist entirely on the supposition that there is no alternative to capitalism. Uh, because if we could imagine a world without capitalism, so like the first, um, the first chapter in this book is called "It's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism," um, and um, he talked, and and that is sort of a good thesis statement, I guess, to 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 this, because like you can see it in our responses to things like climate change, um, like it's easier, I think, definitely for me to imagine. I think for most people to imagine that climate change is going to destroy all of humanity and we're all going to die, than that climate change is going to inspire radical political change and allow us to like live in a way that is like sustainable. You know, like it's easier to imagine that this is just like the end of the world, right? Oh yeah. You know, because you see that all the time. You know, you see people talking about the apocalypse. The ap apocalypse stories have become really popular, and you see people talking about this as the end of the world and as the end of human society. Um, way more than you see people talking about this as, like, the moment the revolution comes. You know, because we've all yeah. had sort of hammered into our brains the idea that, like, the revolution's not going to come, buddy. Um, uh, and that it's impossible uh, to, to construct a political or economic system that makes things better. And he, he talks a lot about a, a lot of different things in here that, um, 
in 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 a, a lot of sort of different ways in which the the idea of capitalist realism affects people and affects the way that we live and affects our mental health. There's a whole chapter in here where he talks about um, he talks about college students and he talks about like his experiences teaching university teaching at university and teaching university students. Um, uh, in this chapter uh, uh, called "Reflexive Impotence, Immobilization, and Liberal Communism," um, and liberal communism is a term coined by Slavoj Žižek um, that it sort of talks like, for for instance, like Bill Gates is a perfect example of a liberal communist in that um, people who make a show of caring about inequality, who make a show of being super generous, but also are. Yeah massively wealthy and believe in liberal democracy and capitalism as fundamentally good mm-hmm. um um so he talked and he and in this chapter about reflexive impotence he talks about like his experience as a professor being frustrated with his students when like they don't do work when they don't turn stuff in when they when they um sort of check out during class and it's like you know but he's he, then he talks about how like Honestly, if I were in their place, I would behave the same way because you're spending massive amounts of money. You're going to be in debt for the next 20 years to graduate and then get the same job at McDonald's that you would have gotten if you hadn't gone to college. You know, like, um, and he talks about reflexive impotence and the idea, um, specifically that like when you get told repeatedly that there's nothing that you can do, that you have no agency, that you have no control over anything, that there's nothing that you could possibly do to make anything better. Um, then you just internalize that shit, you know? Like, you have, you, when you're, for in, he talks about this in the context of university students, he, he's like, you know, when you're in university, if you've been told your entire life that there's nothing that you can do to make your, that you, and you've not just been told your entire life that there's nothing you can do to make things better, but also everything that you've ever tried to do to make things better has failed. Um, when you finally get to a place where maybe, you know, like, you do have a little bit of agency. It's impossible to believe that it's true, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's impossible to believe in agency um, once you once you once you've lost that sort of stuff. So there's there's a ton of just sort of brilliant little insights in this in this book, and it's super it's super dense. There's a ton of ideas. Like you could read this thing over and over and over again, um, and and come away with new stuff all the time. It is so so good. I will say that it's as a starting point for reading it's a little it's a little flawed because unlike uh eagleton who refers to a lot of sort of like classic sort of marxist writing um like stuff by marx and engels and bakunin and kropotkin and stuff um you know that is sort of generally considered to be fairly solid uh as like for further reading once you understand the basic concepts like uh, Mark Fisher, like he, like probably the the person he refers to the most in this book, or, or cites the most in this book, is Jacques Lacan. Um, oh no! Who is not uh, a political philosopher? He's a psychoanalyst, uh, uh, and kind of kind of a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was the guy who like coined the idea of the mirror stage in human development, like the idea of like like there's a specific stage in human development when you start to be able to recognize yourself in a mirror. Oh. Uh, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, and he, he gave, like, all these, like, televised lectures uh, in the 1960s, um, and he was, like, really big on the idea that, like, like in the 60s, that, like, psycho psych- psychology has gone astray, and we need to return to Sigmund Freud, and it's like, eh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, iffy. Um, Sigmund Freud is is definitely like uh, you will never re- you you will hear about him if you if you are a psychologist if you are a psychology major in college and you will probably hear about some of his ideas and you will hear about them only in the context of this is the dumb old shit that we used to believe. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you t- do like literary studies, uh, everybody treats everybody treats Freud like he's still relevant. <laughs> yeah. um, and in part because he is because like Freudian psychoanalysis works really really well on fictional characters because they're not people um, yeah. and as such they're very simple and you can analyze them using the simple tools that Sigmund Freud created um, especially if you're reading someone like Hemingway who like Hemingway was super into Freud and wrote his characters super Freudianly so it's like if you want to analyze somebody Freudianly like simulacra yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah he <laughs> Yeah. creating creating characters based on a psychological model that doesn't yeah have any yeah. real world because well, the character is a simulacrum of a person it's a representation like it's a copy without an original you yeah. know there is no original person um who this is based yeah. on fictional characters aren't people which is why we can analyze them do using things that don't work on people like sigmund like you know freudian psychoanalysis or lacanian psychoanalysis yeah. or like the myers-briggs type indicator but if they're not real then why do baby gays get so mad when i call edelgard a fascist on twitter uh because baby gays are wrong <laughs> about everything Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm recommending. I'm recommending Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. Uh, so, next month, it's my choice. I get to make you watch whatever I want. Oh, fuck, uh, what have I done? Uh, but seeing as this Matrix thing was mostly revenge from me making you watch the Tatami Galaxy, uh, it was, I won't it? take it out on you too hard. Uh, and Oh, you're sweet. Because uh, otherwise this will just be a fucking downward spiral of us making each other watch worse <laughs> and worse shit. Just an arms race. Yeah. Or... Whatever. Yeah, we're gonna be watching mutually, Boku no Pico mutually, by July. Mutually assured destruction. Yeah, we're gonna be watching Boku no Pico by July if this continues. So what's that? Uh, it's an it, uh, it's just an old meme. It can't hurt you. Okay, thank uh, you. I actually don't really remember what Boku no Pico was. I just remember that it was what uh, in the olden days. Uh, people would, every time anybody asked what anime something would like a screenshot was from, the answer much like how if you ask what a song is, the answer is Darude Sandstorm. Uh, the Ooh. answer to what anime is this is Boku no Pico. Uh, okay. And, right, I forgot that this was what Boku no Pico was, uh, according to Wikipedia. Boku no Pico is a Japanese series of Shotokan hentai anime OVAs produced by Natural High. Oh, okay. Um, so, we've already, I mean, we've already, we've already um, crossed the line of watching porn on, for this podcast. No, we haven't. With the, with the final fight of the Osiris. It was really... Uh... Uh, no, if we ever... If we... <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's where we're going. That's, that's where we're going to be. Uh, so what I'm going to have... Uh, so next month, we're going to be watching a film. We're going to be watching a <gasps> film called <gasps> Akira. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. Uh, we're going to be watching a film called Akira, which is directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, and we're watching Akira because uh, without Akira, the Matrix probably wouldn't exist. Um, yeah. The Matrix, if, if Akira and Ghost in the Shell were not made, the Matrix probably wouldn't exist. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so it's it's cool cyberpunk motorbike shit, and there's some crazy body horror stuff at the end. It's a fucking killer movie. Oh yeah. Alex has never seen it, uh, so we're I gonna watch. Not. We're gonna watch Akira. Sounds like a plan. 
All right. So thanks, everybody. Until until then, where can they find you? You can, you can find me on Twitter at Prophet underscore Goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at Prophet underscore Goddess at Skeleton.cool. You can buy my video games at ProphetGoddess.itch.io, including the new one. You have a new video game, I have game, a new video you? game that just came out a few days ago as of the time of this recording. It's called Corpse Reviver. Uh, you can find it. It'll be, be on ProphetGoddess.itch.io. Please buy it. Uh, I need to eat. Um, anyway, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? Let's see, on Twitter.com, done, done, done. Mastodon at Catalina at Selfie.Army, at Selfie with a Y. Uh, I stream bullshit at Twitch.tv slash Miss underscore Input. Come yell at me about uh, why Edelgard's a fascist. We'll bond over that. I think, uh, I think... All right, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I think, that, I think that's it. <laughs> yep. Bye. Fuck All you. All right, see you, see you next month.